Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, it's our lucky episode. <laughs> Double sevens. Double sevens, man. 77. Just seems like the other day we started doing this stuff. Well, I think this time next year we'll have capped 100. Yeah. Yeah. The math works. The math works. All right. Somebody else brought me brought that to our attention in listener mail, I think. Well, good. Well, luck aside, Dave, what is up in your model sphere? You know, I was thinking about that the other day, driving in to the office. I had my favorite radio station on, FM 92.1, listening to my favorite morning DJs, Digger Dave and the Kaiser. And, you know, I thought to myself, it's a pretty darn good model sphere. I think so, man. Uh, uh, if if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, our friends over at On the Bench have uh, joined in with getting a Facebook group uh, together so that their listeners, they can interact with their listeners like we do on the dojo. It's called On Your Bench. So if you're on Facebook, uh, go ahead and search it out. But uh, uh, my partner in crime who has... Uh, a, too much time on his hands, and B, has a wicked sense of humor, played a little prank on him, and uh, they seemed to really enjoy it to the point where they made it the header for their Facebook group. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go take a look. It's funny as all get out. Uh, I think the penchant for satire came out. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, <laughs> it, it leaps out of you every once in a while in unexpected ways. And it doesn't seem to atrophy. Mm -mm. No, they well, seem, and, and they seem to enjoy it. That's the thing that I think was great was that they really got a kick out of it. Well, it didn't take me all that long. It, you know, I, I, he had posted that photo before and I said it looked like a, a cheeky morning show, radio morning show publicity shot or something. So I yeah. just kind of ran with it. And, the only, uh, the only thing that you should have left had is a little star in the corner that said, uh, weather with Julian on the 11s. <laughs> it's the only thing missing. And I only thought of it like, oh, yesterday or the day before. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll consult you next time, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Well. <laughs> well, other than that, my model sphere is going well. I kind of know what you've been doing with your model sphere. Apparently, you've got so much spare time, you, you're, you're, you're mocking up stuff for the other podcasts. <laughs> well, it may be their their uh, their most interacted uh, thread at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is so far. I'm pretty darn so, sure of that. So, Digger Dave, you're welcome. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you and you are from now on Digger Dave. There's no question about it. <laughs> well, what so what I, else? What's what's really in your model sphere? Okay. Well, um, you know, I'm torn. It's good and bad. One. It's, as you know, uh, suddenly it turned cold here. Uh, we decided to go from... Oh, crap. <laughs> we, we decided to go from very warm early fall 
directly to winter. We had our first snowfall here on Saturday. Yeah, I want my two hundred dollars um, for passing go. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and so, you know, that means there's less yard work to do, less stuff outside. Lord knows, I don't have to take care of the pool in the winter, uh, which should give me more time for modeling. Also. It's the time of year that I hate where the sun rises later and sets earlier. Again, should give me more time for modeling. And I have been getting some in. Um, but by the other hand, it also starts that run into Thanksgiving, then Christmas and the new year. And that's always been death to my modeling. And so, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm really trying to adjust to the change and hopefully keep, I've got a good run going modeling wise right now. So I want to keep that run going. So what's your model sphere like other than, uh, uh, other than playing in, in graphics programs? (laughs) That was good practice. It was books, Dave, a flurry of books. Oh, what kind of books? Well, our buddy Rock Rosak over Detail and Scale has uh, sent us some announcement details. So that's Ooh. going on in the model sphere. I had to check that out. Okay. Uh, Detail and Scale, A6 Intruder in U.S. Navy Attack Squadron Service. Now, this is volume six of their color and marking series. Yeah. That's going to be real popular because the A, I know there are a bunch of guys who love the A6. It's one of those things that's so ugly, it's beautiful. And number two, there were so many great markings for the A6 squadrons. Well, folks who think like that can go to www.detailandscale.com and pick up a digital or print version of this book. And uh, looks good. I like the A6. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> See, I told you. There are a lot of people who think That's that. That's right. Ah, there's three books. Second one is Inside the Armors. Uh Models for Ukraine, Volume 2. Now, Mr. Medding sent me an, an advanced uh, digital copy for review. This book uh, showcases 24 builds from a lot of, well, they're all outstanding modelers, bar yeah. none. They're, they're all good. Basically, the names you recognize if you're online modeling at all. And if you didn't, you're going to probably go peruse the internet and find some more of their builds. Yep. Uh, these 24 builds uh draw from some of the 46 ukrainian manufacturers that uh mr meddings is denoted in the kind of the preface area of this book 46 and one came to mind that he didn't have in there <laughs> so <laughs> every time he you know I, I was i was dming with him um the other day and uh, uh he was saying that every time he publishes that little map of ukraine with the logos of all the hobby companies manufacturers, aftermarket folks, etc. Every time he posts it, somebody contacts him and says, you forgot X. I, I understand. Uh, you know, to my back to my point, for, for historical scale models, and that ought to be obvious what that means, right? Right. Uh, I got to think that the Ukraine, the Ukrainian manufacturers are second to like China collective. And what I mean by China collective is mainland and Hong Kong and Taiwan, all of that, you know, the most of them are made in China, but they're, you know, the design side and engineering elsewhere. Right. Uh, But I, 
you know, 46. I know of another one. So 47. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. Which they, I, I, go, I mean, sci-fi is just Japan hands down. Right. Right. But I get, but, but for historical scale models, that's a lot of companies. And these aren't, I'm not talking about little resin cast garage companies. These are all pretty substantial, either kit manufacturers or, or, you know, contemporary aftermarket companies. Right. Well, and that, that brings up an interesting question. Why do you think it was just, uh, you know, post breakup of the Soviet union, there was a lot of skilled machinists, et cetera, and a lot of available space and machinery to begin that process. Possibly, and, and you know, you've got, you've got a lot of people who are in an open economy now, and they've got more money than they've ever had. So the people have hobbies, yeah, and it's just probably a perfect storm of all that stuff. Uh, I, I really don't know, but well, and and my understanding from you know, I've met a few people from Ukraine or Ukrainian heritage, etc. They seem to be very entrepreneurial, just as a as a people. It seems ingrained in their culture uh, to always wanting to develop a business, do business, et cetera. Um, and man, I'll tell you what, I'm hard pressed to think of, of companies out of the Ukraine that I don't love their stuff. <laughs> well, if you're interested in the book, in this book, you're going to get 119 full color pages showing all these f- really fabulous builds, to be honest. Uh, like the predecessor book, the volume one, should, should really satisfy the curiosity about the quality and the and the buildability buildability of some of these brands. If you're ever if you haven't ventured there yet, fabulous builds. I, w- I would say the average modeler is going to learn at least one new thing from every article or section contained within this book, and the one prior. I mean, that'll make it worth it. I mean, that is that is the thing that when you read mo- quote unquote modeling books, to me, whether the book you know. Some modeling books can just be pretty picture books, but you don't really learn anything. What I love is the type of book like what you're describing, where each time you read a a section on a particular model, there's at least one technique that you've never thought of that you go, I got to make a note on that and try that next time. Well, if this sounds interesting to you, and I recommend the book, I mean, there's just a, a lot of stuff in there. I love perusing it, and I learned. If, like I said, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. I learned something from from every one of the inst- little installments. All twenty four of them have something and, to t- have something to teach. And not only that, keep in mind the proceeds from the purchase are going to help the Ukrainians. And given what we've seen in the last eight months, uh, these guys and gals are committed to fighting for freedom, the freedom and integrity of their country. And, you know, that's, that's a lot. And, and any way we can support them, particularly on the, on the side of providing help to the civilian population. So inside the armor.com, check it out. And that's uh, armor spelled with a U as everybody else in the world but us spells. <laughs> Armor with you, like color. That's right. <laughs> Probably a few more words that we don't know, but those are the two we, as modelers, run into quite often. Yep. 
One more book, Dave. Okay. Mike Mikowski, our our past guest for Real Space Topic. Yes. Space and Miniature. SIM, his uh, yep. tech reports. He's yep. published published a new one. On what? Uh, sixth installment, digital publication only. $10 at spaceinminiature.com. That's spaceinminiature, one word, dot com. Uh, this is a detailed review of uh, the Atlantis reissue of the old monogram U.S. Space Missiles Kit. Oh, that's fantastic. 52 pages, 122 illustrations. And I got a note here to read paragraph three from his email. <laughs> uh, Mike tells us that this, the Sim Tech Report is based on a two-part kit review originally published in 1984. Uh, in Plastic Novelty Items, which is a publication of the Chicago Spruce Stretchers IPMS chapter. Hmm. They're still around? They're still around? Yes, the Spruce Stretchers are still around. Uh, they included descriptions of most of the 36 missiles, and it was a heavily illustrated with detailed drawings. The review covered the 1983 Heritage Edition. Uh, the original text was uh, by Joe Suzinski, and the drawings were by Jim Griffiths. And uh, after Joe passed away, some years ago, uh, Mike contacted Jim, made arrangements to use their work for some uh, future future work. Well, that time has come. So the sim version adds photos of all the missiles and up-to-date drawings by model rocketry guru Peter Alway and uh, Brian Nicholas of the Air and Space Museum, Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, and author of his own books on U.S. missiles, also contributed to this book. So if you like real space... Spaceandminiature.com. Uh, I checked this one over too, Dave. Well worth 10 bucks, man. I've spent $10 yeah. on a whole lot less than this. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know about you, Mike, but when I was I was younger, uh, you know, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, the heyday of the space program, you know, I, I, like every kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I devoured anything I could find on the space uh, program. And I remember when that kit came out and I remember building it and I'm telling you what, that modeling can be an inspiration. And that at the time was definitely in my wheelhouse for inspiration. So I'm sure since that kit's available again through Atlantis, uh, I am sure that uh, it's definitely going to be of interest to folks who are building that. You might have gathered my model sphere has been uh, checking out uh, information in books from uh, three different book providers. Well, that's listen, there's a worse ways to spend your model sphere or modeling adjacent time. Books are, you know, again, my wife jokes that I'm a librarian who has models on the side, but, uh, uh, you know, it's one of my preferred things to do when I'm not actually at the bench modeling. So, Mike, uh, I assume you have a modeling fluid in front of you. I do, and it's a new one. Oh, good. Mine's new, too. Well, I am trying for the first time Russell's Reserve 10-year Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. I don't think I've heard of that one. It's good. But Is we'll, it? We'll uh, get a little more into the into the nitty gritty at the, at the end, Dave. Okay. Well, you know I don't like to to repeat uh, modeling fluids, so I try not to. I am having a highball, which I've had before. Again, a highball, Coke, 
and bourbon or, or coke ginger, ginger or, ale and bourbon or or coke and or coke and whiskey <laughs> coke and whiskey is also a highball whiskey um, and something else yes but i am the bourbon is trader joe's bourbon oh you went there you went there well there's a story behind it uh uh the model wife uh, retired from Southwest Airlines 25 years as a flight attendant for Southwest. And uh, uh, frankly, post-COVID, flying was not the same experience as it was pre-COVID. And that uh, uh, pushed her over the edge as far as deciding she'd put her time in. So uh, recently, she's gotten a job working for Trader Joe's. And uh, most Trader Joe's have a liquor store attached to them, much like Kroger's do. And she gets a 20% discount. And she says to me, do you know they've they've got a a branded bourbon? And uh, from what I understand, it's from Buffalo Trace Distillery. Okay, bring it home. (laughs) And so... um, I get 750 milliliters of Buffalo Trace bourbon for like eleven dollars and ninety five cents. Uh, it's we have we have to do a straight up side by side shot glass neat taste test. I will tell you, I have I have had this neat just to taste it. It is not Buffalo Trace quality. It's not the same quality. It's probably like four years old. Yeah, you, I, you can tell from the color it is. It's nine. It's ninety proof. Uh, color looks like it's about four years old. But I wouldn't drink it. I wouldn't drink it straight or on the rocks as a as a, a matter of course. But as far as being a a highball mixer, great stuff. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this by the end of the episode. So we'll we'll have more when we get there. Well, Dave, it's time for my favorite part of this episode. All right. Sounds like we got some listener mail. Uh, We sure did. First up, David Poles from Ithaca, New York. Uh, Dave is slowly doing aircraft of the Pacific campaign of World War II. And he would like to do a Vault OS-2U Kingfisher in 72nd or 48th scale. Prefers 72nd. But we'll build whatever kit is the best or the better kit. Life's too short for, as we know. <laughs> well, you and he, you and he know. Uh, yeah, I think the journey is more important than the destination. So uh, life's never too short. So yeah, well, you like you like building old kits, man. You're some so, weird. All right. Any recommendations for a kit? Well, let's cut let's cut to the chase on the forty eight scale. He's got one option. Yes, I was going to say. You can build uh, any of the incarnations of the old monogram Kingfisher from about 1960-something all the way up to yesterday, in either, in a, either in a monogram box or a Ravel box. Uh, that's it in 48 scale. It is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an old kit, but it's not a bad kit. It's just the only game in town. <laughs> it is, but there's plenty of aftermarket for it. I wouldn't be a... It'll it'll build up to a really nice kit. Now, 
compared to modern standards. It's not going to be up to modern standards as for engineering and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the fit's going to be a little more difficult. You're going to have to take a little more time, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's not unconquerable. I think th- I think um, that was ripe. That was ripe for a refresh somewhere. I I agree. I agree. The only problem is that the Kingfisher's just not sexy. Uh, it's not like a P fifty one. You're not going to sell the living heck out of them. Yeah, that's probably so, true. Somebody will do it. Yeah, they're doing now they're se- they're doing dumber stuff in forty eight scale. <laughs> <laughs> Not just forty-eight scale. Hell, we get not we get Nazi flying saucers in three different scales. I mean, yeah. But enough about that. Uh, so that's forty-eight scale. Now he didn't mention it, but if you want to go up to thirty-second scale, you have the Kitty Hawk kit, which, while they're out of production, are still available. Yeah. Now, this is. One of the more challenging Kitty Hawk kits. Uh, it is not a drop the glue in, shake the box, and and a Kingfisher rolls out. But as we've seen, Ed, among others, has shown us, it can be built up to a beautiful, yeah. beautiful Ed, model. Ed Barrett's Kingfisher was, was really nice. Yes. Stunning. So... Not that it can't be done. It's just, even though it's a more modern kit, it's still challenging. 72nd scale. Um, you, you got bookends. You got four options. Right. Go ahead. You got a Lindbergh kit. It's older than you. Right. I don't think I would consider that. You've got an Airfix kit. That also may be older than you. The original model. Oh, I'm sure. Uh... There's some aftermarket specific for that kit. Yes. From uh, White Ensign, is that right? Uh, White Ensign makes some, and then uh, Starfighter might make some, too. Mm, I don't know if they do or not. I, I would have bought it. Maybe. I don't remember buying it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, but no, you may be right. That, I'm No. I'll have to look. But I, think, I think you're correct, and I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, you have the newer... 70 second skill 70 second skill kit from uh, octopus right which is not it's a limited run kit short run kit out of the eastern out of eastern europe it's probably and what and was one of their early kits so not only is it short run it's at the beginning of their learning curve so i don't know how that compares to the two prior kits we mentioned, but uh, the most recent announced, uh, most recent release kit is the AZ models kit in 72nd scale. And they've got about four, four different boxings of that kit. That's the one I've got. And, and to be honest with you, I think if I was going to recommend to the listener, I'd go with the AZ kit. Yeah. AZ is not Arma. It's not Tamiya, but they can be built up. They're, they're good kits and that's a, a fairly modern release for them. So, you know, if you set those choices in front of me, I'm going to grab the AZ box. I think nine times out of 10, I may also get the aftermarket for the Airfix kit. Yeah, that's what I've done. And, and see what's applicable. Cause I imagine a lot of it can be ported over to the, sure. to the newer AZ kit. Yeah. 
Uh, whatever you do, don't build a Kingfisher on wheels. It's the ugliest airplane on the planet. Please don't do that. But other than that, if you go go 70-second scale, go with the AZ kit. I may have one of those in my stash, at least. As long as you don't have a Lindbergh one in your stash. I do not, but I've built that kit as a kid. I, I, I did, I too. got it at the USS North Carolina gift shop. Uh, I may have gotten it at the USS Alabama gift shop. <laughs> uh, Anthony Faust wants to uh, thank us for putting the word out about cams. Uh, the club appreciated that. So, well, good. Hey, we're promoting the hobby. And if you guys got a new club and, and want to get the word out, there you go. I hope, hopefully, it'll reach some more people in your area. Right. Maybe. I don't know. I hope so. And, we, and, and if you don't have a club around you and want to think, see about forming one, Reach out to reach out to me. I'll put you in touch with the folks at IPMS USA uh, here in the states, at least, and uh, they've got uh, ways to assist you in finding modelers in your area and forming a club. Zach Peace from Mainsfield Center, Connecticut, who has been posting on the dojo some really nice stuff. Mansfield, actually, I don't know where I put it up. Why I put an I in there. <laughs> sorry zach great show this week guys that would be the last episode evan makes me feel old well get on the bus zach oh yeah really <laughs> step in line behind me buddy i'm telling you what i love his youthful en- energy and then next thing i know he's shiving me in the back he's like two and a half men yes exactly <laughs> We have to nickname him Short Round. There you go. <laughs> now he's got two movies to go, a TV show and a movie to go check out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he appreciated. Uh, I guess it was Evans on the on the Wheel of Doom at that point. We're probably going to rename it, but uh, the possibility of a yawn moving to a fave. Actually, we, it, Evans suggested the opposite of that. It was a fave becoming a yawn. Right. Uh, but this is the opposite, which is. You know, it's a good, would be a good topic as well. Yeah. Uh, Zach's been outspoken about his disdain for the F-35. <laughs> He's not the only one. Now, I I think I know, because he mentions it here, and, and I've heard this from at least four, four, I've either heard it through conversations I've been involved in or just seen it in passing on, on, on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. It's the forward opening canopy. Yeah. Didn't the Colonial Vipers in Battlestar Galactica open forward like yeah. that? Uh, yes, I believe that. I know did. the toys did. I don't know if the, uh, the, the TV show did or not, but. I think the original TV show did indeed. And he, you know, he doesn't like the aircraft. It replaced the Harrier and some of the other other aircraft the Navy was using that he thought were more interesting. But, you know, sure. Tamiya's recent releases turned him on because it's Tamiya. Yeah. And that, right. and that kit, you know, just, just when you think they can't do it, can't do it any better. They do it better. Yes. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I will tell you once again, I'll repeat myself for the millionth time. The 72nd scale Tamiya zero finest model kit I've ever built in my life. Just the engineering was so well thought out. The assembly was freaking perfect. Every pit, every piece, not only did every piece fit and fit perfectly, 
but it was clearly designed so that you couldn't make many of the mistakes modelers normally make by not paying attention to the instructions. Zach is uh, is a gut punch, I guess, because uh, it's amazing to me a quality, and he can he can uh, build it as a Vermont Na- Air National Guard aircraft. Yeah, which uh, fits his New England based aircraft collection. So there you go, Zach. You get to uh, cross the bounds of scale and genre. I'm gonna. Uh, I I eventually I'm gonna break down and probably buy. I do not currently have an F thirty five in my. Uh, collection or in in my inventory or stash i am sure that probably by the next year or two i will probably have one version uh in 72nd scale of the a the b and the c um it's just it's inevitable you know i wonder i i won't make a blanket statement but i have to wonder if if the the low vis schemes of you know current fashion in the Navy yes, have con- yep. contributed to this uh, lack of interest like this of, of new aircraft. Yes, absolutely. I, there is no question the fact that low vis schemes, one of the, particularly for the Navy, the high visibility, beautiful schemes of the seventies and eighties, sixties so, well, and the sixties, Vietnam forward to the changeover to low vis. Just they're visually beautiful and colorful and bright. You know, I think that's, you know, talk to the geeks. I will, I'm sure that they're going to tell you that in addition to it just being their area because they were all in, in the service and all that, uh, that those particular aircraft are stuff they like because of the markings. Well, it's kind of paradoxical because you could argue in the 60s and 70s that camouflage mattered. Right. And now here we are in the second decade of the 21st century where you can, a satellite helps you reach out and touch someone, whether you can see them or not, that that camouflage doesn't matter. Right. That they're taking shots from 150 miles away. Yeah, so... You had you had low vis schemes when intuition would say camouflage mattered. Now you have low vis schemes. I think you got that wrong, right. but you got low vis schemes where camouflage is is not so important anymore. Yep. Wonder why some of those fighters in the Jolly Rogers and Sundowners of the sixties and seventies yep. that that'd be sweet. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, our West Coast friend Mark Mark Duramus was actually the person going to Australia. Yes. Who had been to Thailand. And unfortunately our recommendations our recommendations dropped after he was already traveling. So Oh, okay. So we can get a little stale, I guess. 2 weeks 2 week cycle. No no surprise there. Right. So so we're going to one one once a week starting now, right? No, no, we're not. Okay. <laughs> Let me be clear. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to give him a heart attack, folks. Well, he wasn't able to get to the North Beaches, but he did make it to Hobby Co. at uh, oh, good. Queens Victoria Building. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, "Wow, what a store! Thirty feet of shelving de- dedicated to aircraft, another twenty to armor, thirty another thirty to cars. Ships were fifteen to twenty feet, 
and Gundam, nice. Gundam and Gunpla had a 40 foot, 40 feet wall to ceiling or floor to ceiling. A lot of stuff, a nice. lot of stuff. Good. Well, I'm glad that worked out for him. Yeah. And there's nothing better than if you're traveling for work or for vacation and finding a hobby shop and it turns out to be a really good one. And he did end up with a, uh, an Itulary uh, F-35A. Is that a Hasi Rebox, maybe? He was wondering. Um, or is it all Itulary all, all it the time? It, well, Itulary Reboxes with Tamiya. That's what I, that's what I thought. It, it might be a Tamiya kit in an Itulary box, but it also no, it's might older. be. That, it's too old to be a Tamiya kit. Okay. So then it, what it is, is it's the Itulary kit, and Tamiya now reboxes it. No, the Tamiya kit's all new. He said Hasi imprints is Itulary question mark. So so I guess he's got a uh, Hasi F thirty five A? Hasi F thirty five. So is that the Itulary yeah. kit? No, I don't do not believe it is. Okay, but uh, apparently the, the the Aussie distributor includes an RAAF insignia and serial number sheet. Nice. So he got a nice souvenir. Yeah, there you go. Well, Mark, glad it worked out. Glad you found a cool shop on the travel scene. That's always fun. And, and and guys, when you're if you're out and about and you do that, if you're traveling, whatever, and you come across a hot, you know, we all go. First thing we all do is when we get to a new new town for work or for vacation. You used to flip out the phone you know, book out of the hotel phone hotel book, drawer. Yes, <laughs> hotel drawer. We don't do that. God, we're old. Uh, we don't do that anymore. You pull up Google and you, you Google looking for hobby shops. If you go, take pictures and post them on the dojo so that, A, it's a nice archive so other folks can, can you know, who may be venturing into that same town may know what they're getting into and if they want to make the trip, but it's also a great way for us to all live vicariously through you. So if you find, if you find a hobby shop in a town, post photos, Dave Kinsey from Ipswich, Massachusetts, Dave. Yep. Got a, up in the, up in the North. Got a tip. All right. So he's, he, he's building a trumpeter's 16th scale Panzer four. And if, if, okay. if you've been following Dave Parker's, four-year build of that sucker on the FE modeler. <laughs> yeah. You would not even buy that yeah. damn kit. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, I know they exactly what you're talking they, about. They make all their 3d printed stuff available. That was used in that build available through FE modeler, in, including the 3d printed casting nar- numbers and marks that go on the, the bogies. Right. I mean, 16 scale, right? You're splitting hairs now. Oh yeah, your 16th scale. That stuff's not- noticeable. Oh yeah. So he was using these and trying to shave them off the the base of resin. They're just shattering. Uh-huh. It was it was so brittle. Uh, so he immersed the resin base in the hot water for a few minutes to soften it up, and they shave right off. So there you go. Some 3D printed stuff you can soften up. But I'm going to give you a caveat right now. That doesn't work with all resins. Right. Well, that is one thing with 3D printing that I think probably it, there's somebody out there, you or somebody else who's deep into 3D printing, Will, whoever, who needs to sit down and go through the different resins and 
talk about what their qualities are and what good for what applications? Because this isn't like paint. Well, maybe it is a little like paint because there's so many different paints and paint lines <laughs> and 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 uses for some paints but not others. But that that's clearly true of resin. It's not one type of resin that you know that that is used for everything. And and I think that folks who are getting into their new 3D printing hobby, uh, yes, that's a little bit of a a poke. Uh, who? Not, that, not me. Uh, not you, because you don't want another hobby. I don't, have, um, I don't have a 3D printer. Excuse me? Yes, you do. Again, I, I think you're going to see a lot of discussion in the next year or two centered around, okay, here are the resins from these different companies, and they can be used in these different printers, and here's what works for this or that or the other thing. And and I think that's just going to be a flood of information over the next uh, couple of years. Up next from IPMS Seattle, Martin Pieta. Okay. I thought Jim was your friends, guys. <laughs> he wants to give you dank dust. I, I would not <laughs> give that stuff to my worst enemy unless they like the taste of blankety blank bong water. <laughs> I guess this gets in the all wheat versus weed beer. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, short is we've got an open invitation to come out there to the museum of flight and the IPMS spring show out there and yep. uh, go to wood, Woodenville whiskey. They're a rye rye maker and uh, craft beers are dime a dozen out there. I'm sure they're ranged from crap to awesome. Someday, Dave, you're going to get out there before me for sure. Yeah, I got to get out there. I, I've been promising him for quite a while. Well, thanks for the warning, Martin. Uh, we'll avoid the dank dust. Yes, that's right. I would probably avoid it by the name alone. <sighs> well, I've answered this one via email, but uh, Adam Coleman, our friend from Texas. Yeah. Uh, he is making a tour up this way. I don't know why it didn't, didn't allude to why, but uh, he's going to be coming up from Bowling Green, Louisville, up to Cincinnati, back down through Frankfurt, Lexington area, Bardstown, and back down to Bowling Green kind of circuit. Yep. Wanted to know if there's any hobby shops he needed to hit while he's on the way, and you know what I told him, Dave. Oh, scale reproductions, man! He's got to go there. He'll. It's one of the better hobby shops you'll find. Uh, uh, Brian's a friend, uh, but just in all seriousness, uh, the level of kits, paints, and aftermarket supplies uh, are really impressive for a, for a hobby shop these days. We've talked about Brian's, and, and I don't know what's in Cincinnati at this point. Um, yeah, Boardwalk closed. Boardwalk was the one that I always went to when I was up in Cincinnati, but they they finally closed. So, uh, so if any if any of the Cincinnati folks know what's what's worthwhile in Cincinnati, shoot us a note. It's too late for Adam, but we'd like to know because we're kind of close. Sure. Uh, and uh, like I said, I answered him via email already. But uh, Adam, hope you're listening to this on your road trip. Scale reproductions can't go wrong. You're welcome, Brian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Well, since all these podcasts, us included, dominate the English-speaking world, Dave, we've got an, an email from the United Kingdom. Okay. Scott Daniel. <laughs> Interesting. He was also, uh, last couple episodes, overlapped his travel to the United States. And he was in Cincinnati for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I guess he's back in the UK now. Uh, while listening to your podcast on a riverfront walk in downtown Cincinnati. Well, he used the word Cincy. Good on him. Yeah, good on him. That's right. It's Cincy. Uh, Dave mentioned his modeling flu in episode 76 is the Hefeweizen from uh, Hofbrau House. In Newport. That's right. Did he walk across the river and get some? Well, I don't know if he walked, but he definitely went over there. Well, there's a walking bridge now directly. He, he thought it'd be criminal if he did not. Oh, he's right. So he went to the Hofbrau house and enjoyed this excellent modeling fluid. Thank you very much. All right. That does my heart well, good. Well, you, 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 you can get one of those t-shirts now, David. It says influencer. There you go. <laughs> Better than the one that says alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's funny because I know better. Yeah, I know. I know. While he was in Cincinnati, he also took in the United States Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Good. I was going to say I hope that he got up there because, you know, it's not in Cincinnati. It's in Dayton, but it's such a close. I mean, it's 45 yeah, it's minutes. less than an hour. I mean. Yeah. You could leave Cincinnati early. You could target the opening time, leave Cincinnati, grab some breakfast on the way, and you'd be there before you know it. Yep, absolutely. And that's a once in a lifetime museum. If you don't live in the United States. Yeah. Well, as close as we do. <laughs> yeah, true, true enough. We make it every so often. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I was up there. I know. Thursday, but I did not because of uh, other complications. I didn't get to go by. Well, we know a guy. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to take him up on uh, taking that in sometime. Maybe even after hours. That'd be nice. That would be cool. Well, uh, Scott also took in MTS Aviation Models in Beaver Creek. Okay. I don't know. It's got to be near Dayton. Beaver Creek is near Dayton. And uh, he might have been the first Brit to ever walk in that place. <laughs> but they helped him find something that would fit in his suitcase. So, so he ended up with a, an Academy uh, P-51. So Good. There you go, Scott. Thanks for visiting. Yeah. I hope, 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 the work, hope the work was not too terrible that brought you over here. And glad you got to go to the museum. Glad you got to go to Hofbrau House. And Ivan, take note. He bought what fit in his suitcase, not what he had to mail back to the United Kingdom. VAT. That's right. Yeah, you know me. (laughs) Ah, Mr. Karnaka from New York City. Oh, it's time for our question. Well, he's got a couple. Okay. Well, pick Uh, one. And Mike, I'm going to save the more in-depth one, because it's not only is it a good question for listener mail, it's a good topic for possible enhanced consideration. Let's just say that. So second option with Thanksgiving fast approaching. And it is what are you most thankful for regarding the hobby kit releases, community, et cetera. 
That's easy for me. Oh, you start then, because we got the same answer. Go for it. Yeah, I know we do. It the the, the community that rose up around this podcast. Mike and I started this. Honest to God, I've said it more than it bears repeating. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know if anybody listened. We are doing it. We were doing it to motivate ourselves to get more modeling done, which, by the way, it has. I know it doesn't always seem it, but yes, it has actually gotten us building more and finishing more. But the community that grew up around it, especially once COVID hit, I'll tell you, it just, there is nothing better than going to shows and interacting with folks who listen uh, or, You know, I spend, honestly, 30, 40 minutes a day minimum interacting with other modelers on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever. Just so happens last Friday, Mike and I were on a Zoom-type call with uh, Evan, Ian, and Chris. All in Ottawa, Canada, by the way. Don't leave that detail out. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, people we see once a year, if, if we're ever. lucky, in person. Yeah, now we've only we've only seen Evan. Now we see we see him on the video, but in person, we've only met Evan. And to add, we would not have met those people had it not been for the podcast and well, and the internet making it all possible. Exactly, exactly. And and again, it just that. And that so changes every aspect of modeling. A, the best part of modeling, again, sound like a broken clock. Best part of modeling isn't modeling. Best part of modeling is the people in modeling. There's nothing better on a Friday night. We're all sitting around on a Zoom call, and we're interacting, joking, having a great time. I mean, side-splittingly funny time while actually working on models all in our own model rooms. Or trying trying to, at least. <laughs> trying to, yes. Sometimes the, the one downside when we're doing something like that is sometimes there's more, more BS than there is modeling. But even that, it's enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, and I'm sure your answer's the same. It, it, it is the same. It's And it's surprising. I, it, it really is. We... we yes. We had no freaking clue, man. Dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. And, and I think it would have happened anyway, but the, the the COVID pandemic certainly put the fast forward on that propagation of the community because yes. so many people were, were cloistered and, and isolated. Yeah. And not just the listening audience, but the, you know, the other, the other podcasts, um, it's just been a lot of fun, you know, it, it it's has. been a lot of fun and, and we have a lot of fun with, with, with everyone out there and that's what it is. That that's, that's what I'm most thank, thankful for. I mean, because for, for, for me, all, all this and the community, like, like Dave said, yes, we are getting more modeling done. I, since, since we started plastic model mojo, I finished, I finished, this is shameful because so many people have finished so many more. But it's good for me. It's, you you you, you got to shift over. To, you got to walk a mile in my shoes, not yours. Uh, I've I right. finished four models, and I've gotten I've got 
two others started. One of them is real close, which is yeah. four plus the the other almost finished one. Five is is five more than I finished in God, the better part of a decade rolling into this yeah. podcast. So, so our yeah. our original reason to start this has played out. We've gotten yeah. a we've gotten so much more than that. I, it's yeah. it's immeasurable, it, it really is, yeah. and it's maybe maybe to some of you folks it sounds cheesy, but it it it's the truth. It's just it's the, it's the yeah. simple truth that the community that's come up around our podcast and all the others, and the community that the the collective of all the podcasts and all their communities, it's amazing. It's just abs- been absolutely amazing, and and I couldn't be more thankful for it. Nothing warmed my heart more than at the last two national conventions, modelers coming up to me who this was their first national convention, and they walk up with their eyes the size of saucers and grinning ear to ear, can't stop it grinning, walking up and telling me, you know, you didn't oversell it. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like, and that enthusiasm you get from your first national convention, that alone, that alone has brought more joy into my hobby and, and is inspirational to me. And I can't wait for San Marcos. (laughs) Well, Dave, on the email side, that is it for listener mail. What, what have you got, my friend? Well, we've we've got a number of them, um, but I'm just going to pick a couple out. One, uh, after our last Wheel of Doom episode, uh, listener John McAvoy reached out and suggested, and I don't want to talk about it here, but you need to make a note to add this to the next Wheel of Doom or whatever we're going to call. We're going to play it close to the vest. Uh, oh, you don't want me to tell you what the question was? No, I don't. Okay. All right. But John, you had a really great question and I thank you for it. And I can guarantee you it will appear on the next wheel. Some of these other jokers might make it a topic. Oh yeah. They're true enough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Now, now we have to worry about industrial espionage. (laughs) Um, Paul Toutant reached out. He's the person who previously commented on the fact that I could pronounce his his name pro- last name properly. Uh, take that, Dave Goldfinch. I'm sorry, <laughs> Digger Dave. Uh, but he reached out again uh, to point out that he had located, and I am not. Ca- I swear to you, he sent me a picture of the bottle. This is not a joke. D's nuts peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> And he tells me, in all seriousness, it's really good. It's made by a local cal- uh, distillery in Calgary. Uh, and he's he's offered to get me some. So, Paul, I, I, I'm amazed, uh, given my experience with the Scatterbrain and what it tasted like, the fact that you found this. You were brave enough to try it, and you say it's not bad. I'm impressed on all counts. So I would leave it at that. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I'm clearly never going to live down the the peanut butter whiskey episode. Probably not. (laughs) Which is okay. Uh, And then Travis Derby uh, reached out. He's been listening to the podcast, and he was asking about aftermarket decals. Which you're an expert. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) No, I am not an expert. I own or a, a lo- sucker. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I own a lot of them. That is completely different than expert. And uh, talking about uh, the different aftermarket uh, decal manufacturers for uh, German World War II 48-72nd scale aircraft and then 35th scale armor, you and I both reached out to him, talked about, you know, ordering from Hannitz or ordering from... Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, now. The BNA. uh, uh, Or straight up. Right. Going directly to the manufacturers, and you named a couple of the uh, armor manufacturers, and I gave him some information on some aircraft manufacturers. It's really neat to see people getting back into the hobby and taking the next step to try, okay, I don't just have to build the kit with the decals that come in it. And depending on the manufacturer, sometimes those decals are crap. But, you know, it's nice to see somebody who's getting into the hobby or getting back into the hobby starting to look for these different things. And, you know, if you're in that position reach and you, you know, you want our input, reach out, just DM us or email us. I'm not any sort of expert. I own a lot of decals. I'm not any sort of expert, but I'll be happy to tell you what I know. And, you know, that's, that's how we all get better. And it's part of the plan for getting better is sharing information. So Travis, I appreciate you reaching out. All right, man. Is that all you got? That's it. Let's bump on out of here. You got it. Well, this is the point in the podcast where I ask you, if you would, when you're done with this podcast, please go rate the podcast. Give it five stars on whatever podcast app you use uh, to listen to us. Subscribe if you have not subscribed. Also, please tell one of your modeling friends who doesn't listen to podcasts, and there are those folks out there because we're continuing to gain listeners. Um, one of the ways we do it is by current listeners going out and telling their modeling friends, hey, I enjoy listening to this. You might too. And you may have to show them how to how to access the podcast. We'd appreciate if you do it. Well, after you're done rating, rating the podcast, uh, cruise on over to www.modelpodcast.com. This is a consortium website set up with the help of Stuart Clark from Scale Model Podcast. There you're going to find banner links to all the other podcasts who have uh, chosen to participate with us in this uh, spirit of cross-promotion. And uh, check it out. You'll find them all there. In addition to the other podcasts, uh, we've got a lot of blog and YouTube friends out there in the model sphere. Uh, first up, Jim Bates of Scale Canadian TV. You're going to want to check out his uh, YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, 
Jim's had a tough weekend. Uh, he was uh, at the Wings Over Dallas air show. Yep. And uh, dealing with uh, witnessing uh, that pretty epic tragedy there. Yep. It was tough. Our thoughts are with you, man. And uh, not just with Jim, with uh, everybody affected by the, the loss of uh, all the crew members on those two aircraft. Yep. Also, check out Chris Wallace, Model Airplane Maker. Great uh, blog and YouTube channel. Chris is, uh, again, I think we pitched it last time, but the SR-71, painting black without using black. It's a pretty good skill, Dave. Yeah. It's gotten just massive tons of views, and he tells us that uh, basically it doubled the number of subscribers to his YouTube channel. And I'm happy to hear that because Chris does really, really good YouTube videos, and frankly, I wish he'd do more of them. Stephen Lee's Proof Pie with Frets, long and short form blog there. Uh, he's got all kinds of things going on all the time. Yep. Uh, check it out. Jeff Groves, Inch High Guy, all things 72nd scale. Finally, once you've done viewing all of those YouTube channels and reading all of those blogs, uh, if you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, that's IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS Israel, IPMS wherever you happen to live. If you are not uh, a member of your national organization, please join. Uh, the national organizations communicate with each other. They do a lot of good in coordinating uh, modeling activity inside their countries making sure that contests don't step all over each other. Uh, they are also contacted all the time by manufacturers seeking help and input. It's your chance to make your voice heard. And uh, it's it's well worth the small amount that you pay as a, a yearly membership. So join IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS fill in the blank. All right, Dave, let's have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Come and make it in Texas, Dave. How much longer do I have to wait? Dave, we are... 262 days away from the IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas. That time is flying, buddy. Well, we'll get through the holidays and New Year's in short order. Yeah, and that's when it'll really start flying. Be end of February before you know it. Yep. Then it'll be spring, and then we'll be there. Yep. Special Agent 003 has yet another update. All right. What, what else should we do while we're down in the great state of Texas? Well, he wants to make sure folks who can put it in their travel or make a point to get there to please check out the Museum of the American GI. Yes, that's a good one. National attendees heading west to San Marcos or east out of San Marcos, I guess. Uh, the Museum of the American GI makes a great stop, especially for armor geeks. That's you. This museum is in College Station, Texas, just uh, two hours from San Marcos. So uh, stop in at the Museum of American GI on a trip to or from the Nats. Uh, this museum has a lot of restored vehicles. That's the main focus of the museum. They are meticulously restored and they run. That's always a plus. Yes. Uh, some of his favorites are the Renault FT-17, 
Oh, I love those. M18 Hellcat, M50 Antos, and the M8 Gun Motor Carriage. And for boat guys, there's a Vietnamese or Vietnam era PBR. Oh, wow. And a Cobra gunship. Nice. Uh, the museum also has other military artifacts on display, just a top notch display of everything. Um, a tour will not take all day, but it's worth a stop. So uh, if you're coming into College Station, check it out. College Station is also the home of uh, Texas A&M, the Aggies, yeah. and the George Bush Library. So there's a couple other potential stops if you if you want to check it out. Uh, if travelers are hungry, they need to stop into the Dixie Chicken for a burger and a beer. Ooh, that sounds good. A legendary establishment uh, directly across the street from uh, the campus, Texas A&M. College dives or uh, college, college dive eateries are some of the best. <laughs> uh, it's a Texas institution, and he says to please be sure to check out the live rattlesnake in the cage out back. I'm glad my wife is not coming with us. <laughs> well, that's going to be the update for uh, come and make it to uh, Texas, Dave. Well, I can't wait for that nationals, man. You got anything to say? Actually, yeah. You and I have to sit down probably after the new year, after the holidays are done. You and I need to sit down with a map and we need to actually plan out this trip. I mean, more meticulously than just you showing up, me throwing a cooler with beer and stuff in the back, and then just pointing pointing the car west. Yeah, um, it's a little, a little longer than normal. And and you and you and I need to, to not see, fly, yeah. right? To, so we need to to sit down and plan what's on our way there, what's on our way back, what do we want to try and see, and you know. Uh, it's going to be a little, little bit more than what we did for Omaha, which was literally point the car west. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so we'll have to do that after the first of the year. All right. Well, let's move on to the bench time halftime report, Dave. All right. That is brought to us by Ed Tackett at Tackett Z. TackettZ.com, the must-have tools for the model maker. Get on there and see what Ed's up to. And Dave, this time I actually, I've got his, I got a draft email in the out mailbox. Copy me on it. I will. I'll copy on it. So we're going to, we're going to sort out that uh, flexi file storage container and uh, hopefully make that a regular available product. Yes. Cause I think that one would do very, very well. So Dave, what is on your bench? Well, uh, I am thrilled to report that while I have not made as much progress as I would like to, of course, I never do, the Kate is fully in decals. She is decaled out. It only took six markings from six different decal sheets, but she has all of her decals on. Now it is a matter of putting a gloss coat on top, starting to weather the thing, uh, or at least doing some panel lining and panel shading, then, uh, you know, semi, semi-gloss semi or semi-matte, then some more weathering. But it is clearly going to be done before the end of the year, and I'm thrilled. Uh, and I really like it. It's coming along great. Uh, also, because you and everybody else on the planet seems to worry that I'm not going to get the P51 done for the Moosaroo, 
I have started the P51. Uh, I am on the way. Uh, you, uh, I'm, of course, still working on the interior. Uh, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This Arma kit is one of the finest pieces of molding and engineering that I think I have ever seen in a model kit. Uh, now, it doesn't go together quite as easy as a, as that to me as Zero, but it is un, not only unbelievably detailed, but you have to pay it, and I mentioned this previously, you have to pay attention to the instructions because they give you so many different options, and there are variations with each option in the interior that you have to pay very close attention to the instructions. And, you know, a lot of model manufacturers, particularly in years past, they would have said, you know, you know what, I don't care that the interior of one P51B slash C look different than another one and would have just given you one interior and told you to use that for everything, even though it really wouldn't have been completely historically accurate. These guys have given you more, more options than you could wish for as far as this particular aircraft with this particular set of markings had this particular interior set up. This particular aircraft with these particular markings had a different interior setup <laughs> and they gave you the options for them for them all and it's just i continue to be super impressed by this kit i will tell you that and i'm not done i'm just i'm just beginning the trip down the yellow brick road but if this continues in this fashion i am willing to say that it is equal to the tamiya zero in different ways as being pinnacles of 72nd scale aircraft modeling. Uh, it's just, it's just super impressive and, and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. And that's about it for my modeling bench. How about yours? Well, I'm shooting paint, man. I know painting again. <laughs> and then what happened when you went to go paint? I ran out of air. <laughs> I'm a CO2 guy. Yes. So I got an errand to run tomorrow. <laughs> and doesn't it seem like that always happens? Well, I guess definitionally it does. You wouldn't notice you were out of air any time except when you went to go paint. Well, this time I was I was painting some special paint for work on a work part and was wondering why, why I couldn't get above a certain PSI. And then I looked over and the, the other gauge was at zero. <laughs> so, so I was like, uh, uh-oh. Uh, so I ran out of CO2 uh, during the middle of a, a job. Well, I got that job done. It was during the cleaning of my airbrush that became problematic. Yeah. So needless to say, the airbrush is now in a in a surplus baking dish and in an, at about an inch of a lacquer thinner. Gotcha. Soaking away. Uh, so I've been working on the parts for the catapult to the E16. Yeah. You figured uh, out how you're going to rig it. Well, 
a while back. I've got notes in the notebook for that. So gotcha. That should, yeah, that should, that should go. Okay. So the catapult is, is the, the truss, this box truss. It's got this launch mechanism on the inside of it, like a separate sub assembly. And then you got the launch trolley on the top. So you got the launch trolley, the truss and this firing mechanism. Yeah. So I've, I've been painting the firing mechanism and the launch trolley for starters. So right. primed in, in Mr. Surfacer 1500 black. That that went well, all, mm. as always. Oh, as always. Uh, and then you take your off the ball and you run out of the, the basics. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to order some primer, some paint, some thinner from Sprue Brothers. All came in. So... I've been painting the launch mechanism and the launch trolley and primed in black, shooting the uh, the basic battleship gray, I guess, the Curie Arsenal gray is what right. I'm using. And then a really light shade from high angle after that. Just try to give right. some layer. Well, what I did was I shot the, the primer and then a, a light sky gray from Tamiya, and then this almost pure white after that. Gotcha. And th- then I went back with a really dilute Curie Arsenal gray from Tamiya and sprayed the entire thing from right. every every angle. Really, really light coat. So I've, I've built up this layering, and I've built up uh, some you know some false shadowing, and I even masked off some of the parts on the on the. Uh, the launch mechanism and, and painting those a, a lot lighter before I sprayed the the the, the uh, battleship gray, right? So that and, they would pop out. Yeah. So they, yeah, I, I really like how it turned out. And I, you know, actually, actually, I, I used the uh, the the Ushi Vanderosten photo as templates gotcha. for the the modeling. So yeah. a, a little bit, not too much. It's wasn't wasn't an ideal part to use that on, right? But, uh, because I it's did, all thin rails and such. Right, so I, I did use that a little bit, and it it worked out pretty good. So, uh, hopefully, I'm going to port all this to the, the the box truss of the catapult, right, and then to the airplane proper, right. So now, let me ask you an interesting question from my perspective. Okay, obviously, this is if you want it to be just a palette for weathering. Yes. Uh, Oil staining, oil streaking, rust, you know, because, again, you're at sea, salt water, the pistons and the the greased cables and, you know, just a, a beautiful palette if you want to do that. Have you figured out how you are going to weather that launch piston mechanism with the uh, with the two pulleys or wheels at the end? Are you going to weather it? completely before you insert it into the box truss or are you going to try and insert it into the box truss seal it up and then weather it no it's got to be done before it goes in okay that's what i figured but and then all the inside of the box truss has to be done before i close it up gotcha that's a that's a challenge it's it's a challenge it's i'm learning how i might have done things differently (laughs) well that brings up an Interesting point. You know, as I get to the end of this, Kate, I don't know if you have this feeling. Whenever I complete a model, 
one of the feelings that I have is, okay, I need to go build another one because now I know how I would do it <laughs> and do it differently. I would have to be really in love with the subject. Me too. And to, I never to, do, never to do, do that. But yeah, I understand that completely. The MiG-17 is probably the only thing where I will do that. I'm not very numeric. Yeah. And the, I'm not a 109 machine or <laughs> uh, whatever. I may eventually do that with the MiG-17. And heck, I've built two of the Tamiya Zeros before, as well as one of the Hasegawa ones. So, And I can see more of those in my future. Well, I'm going to keep chipping away at this. I've got uh, everything's primed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm going to weather these two things and see kind of where that goes and then st- start on the, the truss, the, the main catapult body. Gotcha. In addition, I've been printing a little tower for the for the catapult to sit on for kind of a temporary display base. So Right. That's gone pretty well. So I, you you sent sent a picture of that today, and you're right; it looks really good. And I think that until you do the whole section of the ship where you're going to do that, I think that'll be a great way to display the completed catapult and and model. That's pretty much it, man. All right. Well, it sounds. Hey, we're both making progress. Which again, that's the reason we whole started this whole podcast in the beginning. We're holding ourselves accountable. Hello, Mojovians. This is Chris from Inside the Armour Publications, and I'm here to tell you all about Models for Ukraine, Volume 2. The first volume of Models for Ukraine raised money for humanitarian aid for Ukraine by featuring only Ukrainian manufacturers made by some of the best modelers around the world. Why mess with a good formula? Volume 2 features much of the same. This time, though, all of the articles will be new and feature such great artists as Calvin Tan, Ken Abrams, Sam Dwyer, René van der Hart, Vance Lubin, Robert Blocker, and many more. All in all, 23 artists in 11 countries have donated their work for free to what we think is a fantastic modelling book that also happens to raise a lot of money for a good cause. If you'd like to purchase this fantastic book, please head on over to InsideTheArmor.com to get yours today. Also, if you'd like to know more about the model manufacturers of Ukraine, please look up Models from Ukraine podcast to hear the latest interviews with people like ResKit, Wingsy Kits, Armory, and many of the other Ukrainian manufacturers. A special thank you to Mike and Dave. Raise your glass of modeling fluid, and let's get back to the plastic model mojo. All right, Dave, it's time for our special segment. Let's be clear. All right, let's talk to the doctor. Dave, as we promised in our uh, November uh, 12-minute model sphere, we're into our second episode of November, and we have with us tonight, once again, Dr. Strangebrush, John Miller. Yowza, yowza, yowza. (laughs) What is up, good doctor? Well, you know, a little this, a little that, you know, strikes and gutters, what can I say? That's a good analogy. It's a big Lebowski analogy for all the big Lebowskians out there. You need you need to show up to Lebowski Fest in Louisville one year. They, <laughs> they hold it every year here. Have you guys seen that movie? Yes. Oh God, yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Well, tonight's topic topic du jour is uh, let's be clear, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, canopy and clear parts and some strategies there to get the most out of that uh, make or break aspect of uh, a lot of models, not just airplanes, but. Hopefully, some of this is applicable to maybe cars. And- 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, a lot of it's applicable. It, it, actually, any model with a clear part, a, a window or, or canopy of some kind, um, you, hopefully you'll find some tips that you might you, you might find helpful there at the bench when dealing with those parts. So if Mike, you want to just jump, go ahead. Mike said something there in the intro that I think is absolutely 100% correct. Make or break. Yes. I am convinced that if you're walking down at a contest down a line of models, the air, air, aircraft models, you're yes. walking down a line at table, the first thing you notice is whether or not the canopies are clear and the framing is sharp. Don't forget, David. The canopy is the window to the soul. Oh, there! Oh my God! <laughs> it's Jack Handy's deep thoughts. It's gonna be one of those nights. It's gonna be one of those nights. All right. Well, I've said before, I have a canopy fetish. I'm man enough to admit it. Okay. Um, there's there's nothing that gets me more randy than a well executed canopy. Um, and I can tell you, having uh, having judged uh, IPMS regional, uh, uh, the Seattle IPMS regional show, um, you can indulge in what I call drive-by judging. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you if you can go by a kit that's beautifully executed, and if there is a fog or a you know even worse a a, a gluey thumbprint in the uh, in the clear portions of that canopy, you can just walk on to the next model. Yeah, um, I think a lot of judges do. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention the fact, even if you're not a modeler, if you're someone just walking up to a, a table of models for the first time, your eye, I think, is naturally drawn to all those cool things on the other side of that clear uh, plastic, whether yeah. it's a car model or a, a, an aircraft model. You want to see into the cockpit. You want to see the controls. You want to see the instrument panel. And all of that stuff has to be viewed it through the lens, if you will, of whatever job you did on that clear portion of the, uh, of the, of the canopy or the windscreen. So it's important. It's the focal part of the model, in my opinion. Well, the, the first step in, in canopies is getting it off that dang sprue gate, yep. which, which is utterly different than how you treat regular plastic parts, styrene parts. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that you probably want to think about not using when removing a clear uh, 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 part from the sprue is an X-Acto blade or even worse, uh, a parts cutter, a nipper. Right. Um, that's a good way to induce a crack or even a craze within the plastic that uh, that you're just not going to be able to deal with. What I like to use, and you can get them uh, practically anywhere online these days, is I like to use a, a photo etch saw. Yes. You can get these little micro saws that have really fine teeth. You know, you can get yep. the ones that have aggressive teeth. You don't want those. Get the kind with a really fine teeth. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I use to remove all of my clear parts uh, from the sprue is is a is a photo etch saw. Okay. Do you take your saw and do you try and get as close to the canopy as possible, or do you cut slightly back from the edge of the canopy to you know when you saw through, and then work with a sanding stick or something else to eliminate that? last little bit 
Yeah, so there's uh, there's actually an article on my site um, uh, about uh, uh, polishing clear parts to clarity, right? That's, and that's Model Paint Solutions. ModelPaintSolutions.com. There you and go. if you go up to the right-hand corner of the homepage, it'll say the paint booth, and you can go there to the paint booth, and all the articles are there on the site. Um, a page for the paint booth, or you can simply do Model Paint Solutions Polishing Canopies as a URL um, uh, search and it'll pop right up. And in there, I show a, a 172nd ME109 canopy being removed by a photo etch saw. And I, I put the saw parallel to the canopy frame and as close to it as I can get. Okay. So that as little of that nubbin of the stub is left once, once the canopy is removed. And then to, to take care of the, the, the residual stub, um, I like to go to uh, alpha abrasive 600 or 100 grit uh, paper. You mean 1,000? Excuse me, 1,000. 600 or 1,000. 100 100 would be ugly. Yeah, that would be really ugly. Um, 600 or 1,000, and I use it, you know, with with, uh, soapy uh, water. And what I'll do is I'll fold it into a a square of about, you know, an inch or so, inch square. And then I'll hold it in my hand so that the the abrasive surface that I'm using is rounded, kind of like, you know, a, a sphere. Yeah. So I will use that rounded portion that I'm holding on that folded abrasive and I'll just rub that, you know, that nubbin right down so that it's flush with the frame. What you may want to do, just in case, you know, you're not that handy um, with using sandpaper that close to a clear part, take a minute and use some Tamiya tape. Or um, we also have some some pretty heavy-duty clear scribing tape on the site that can also be used to cover the clear portion of the canopy. So just in case you make a mistake, you won't end up scratching a clear panel on that canopy. Yeah, all you end up scratching is a piece of tape, and you don't care about that. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, yeah, so again, just, you know, you know quick uh, quick review. Uh, photo etch to remove the part once the part's off. 600 or 1,000 grit alpha with soapy uh, cold water. Round it up into, you know, a a folded piece of uh, abrasive and just uh, knock the nubbin down and cover the clear part with tape. And that should pretty much get you get the part off the sprue and ready for, you know, dipping or uh, buffing and uh, uh, buffing and sanding out if you have scratches. That's uh, that's where I I was going next. Um, We've got our part off off the off the sprue and we're looking at it. And, you know. It depends on the manufacturer and all, you know, uh, some manufacturers wrap their clear parts separately. So some manufacturers are known for having flaws in their canopies. Uh, Let's talk a moment about what you can fix and what you can't fix. So you you got that canopy off and you notice a scratch, a surface scratch on either the exterior or interior clear surface. Now those can be fixed, right? Correct. So as opposed to you look at the canopy and there is a flow mark in the canopy. Right. Where where which looks like the distortion off of a sidewalk on a hot summer day. Right. Yes. And and there is no cure for that. There is no cure for that. Because that's inside the plastic. It's not on the surface. That's a difference in the density 
within that little area of plastic where you get the, you know, the, the abnormal, the abnormal look, if you will. There's not, not a lot you can do about that. Likewise, sometimes have you ever seen a canopy that becomes crazed? Yes. Like it's gotten a, uh, uh, there was a, some sort of tension put on it. Exactly. And, and you get like micro cracks. Yeah, little fibrous looking cracks. In it. Yes. Inside, yes. inside the, yes. or on, in, through the canopy. It's actually yeah. those, yeah. those That's cracks best. can be on the inside, the outside. Or through. But they're actually through right. to some density right. in the canopy itself. Well, when you see those, you've entered a world of pain. Yes. <laughs> so there's not a lot you can really do there. Maybe write the manufacturer and get a replacement canopy. And just as an aside on that real quick, I've had a amazingly good luck getting replacement canopies from every manufacturer I have, uh, I have reached out to, including ICM in Ukraine uh, two or three years ago. I had a, a bad Yak three canopy and sent them uh, sent them an email and lo and behold two weeks later I get not one but two replacement canopies, so the, uh, these companies are way more responsive to this than you might think. So if yeah. you end up with a canopy like that where you just can't save it for whatever the reason, reach out to the company. You might be surprised. Yeah. So let's go back. We've got the canopy with the thing you can fix, which is an interior or exterior scratch on the surface of the plastic before What's we your, do that why okay. don't we actually take one step farther back and say that okay. there's absolutely nothing wrong with the canopy whatsoever and it's actually ready to go on the model so before that, you, that never happens it does every <laughs> once in a while you know you're doing fine molds you're doing to me uh you okay know. I'll, I'll give you that one. yeah so if you're and you know the moon is in the third cusp of jupiter and you yeah. did everything right that right. day so yeah right. the so, goat sacrifice went well exactly so so in that situation if the canopy is 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 mar free and ready to go what i'll do is i will first and foremost take a chem wipe and i will buff the canopy out with a chem wipe for two reasons number one um, it's, it, it gets all of the finger grease and everything off the canopy. Number two, um, it removes any static electricity that, 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 uh, can it, that, that plastic has. Now a chem wipe, I've, I mentioned these, I think before on the show, yeah. um, chem wipes are made to, to, uh, wipe, uh, microscope objectives. And the last thing you want is a static charge on a microscope objective that will attract dust and ruin images. Right. So if you use a chem wipe dry, it dissipates static electricity. That's what they're designed to do. So I'll buff the canopy out with a, with a dry chem wipe and get rid of all that static electricity. And then I usually dip my canopies, even if they are, are perfectly mar-free, you know, blemish-free, I will usually dip them in a clear coat for mm -hmm. a couple of reasons, um, one of which is to act as a protectant during the gluing phase. And we're going right. to get to that later. But... Um, so if the canopy is ready to go, you, you, you buff it with a chem wipe. If you still have some or can get it, I am a firm believer in future floor wax or pledge with, pledge with future shine. And I know that's getting difficult to find. Um, yep. I know that they have, they have uh, stopped uh, production of it. Um, if you're sitting on some of that, save it just for your canopies because I still think that is some of the best stuff you can use is, uh, is future. Yep. Um, you can also use Alclad. Aqua gloss. Yep. 
And this works beautifully on 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 uh, on on uh, clear parts, um, and you use it just like you do future. And we'll get to dipping make, the canopy. Make, here. make sure it's aqua gloss, not yes. regular gloss. <laughs> yeah, not the lacquer base, but the the, the acrylic uh, aqua gloss by Alclad um, right. is really good for a canopy dip. The other thing that you can try that I've had good results with is uh, Mission Models uh, gloss. Mm-hmm. And take that and dilute it one to one with Mission Thinner, because if not, it's way, way too thick right out of the bottle. Right. But if you dilute it 50-50 uh, with Mission uh, Thinner, um, that too uh, can, uh, can be used as a really good clear coat for canopies. And one, I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, I got a bottle of the AK Gauzy. To mm-hmm. give it to give a try here at the bench, and I have yep. to say that uh, I dipped two different canopies in it, and when dry, they were crystal clear. They were absolutely beautiful, and I tried putting some Tamiya masking tape on there and pulling it off, and it actually um, uh, left a little distortion on the surface of the gauzy. Really. Hmm. And I, I'm going to attribute that to hey, everybody can get a you know a, you know a bad run or whatever. Right. The other thing that's a little alarming about the gauzy is at least the way I do canopies, I make use of liquid um, um, uh, 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 masking. Uh, right. Uh, in, in particular, Mister Masking Sol R, and I use that for almost all my masking uh, uh, you know work for canopies. If you put Masking Sol R onto a gauzy treated canopy, it turns foggy. Now and. I have I have actually used uh, 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 I forget which masking fluid it was might have even been an off brand masking fluid mm-hmm. on a, on future mm-hmm. like, canopy and had that exact same thing happen. yes yes and it will however a combination of future or or pledge with future shine and masking Sol R works perfectly it does not go cloudy hmm. and, and that's why. why. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, one of the reasons is that uh, masking Solar has very little ammonia in it, so yeah. uh, that's that's one reason uh, why it works so well on on Pledge with Future or Future. I, I couldn't tell you, but I've been using that one that one for ten, fifteen years, and I have never had a canopy go foggy with masking Solar if pre-dipped in Future or Pledge with Future Shine. I also had the similar results when using uh, Mission. Um, uh, models gloss and similar results with Alclad Aqua Gloss. Yeah. Um, that said, all these clear coats have to be allowed to dry at least 48 hours. Yep. I agree. Even though one of the things about future is that normally one of the beauties of it is it dries very quickly. Exactly. But it's not, but, as you know, it's not cured. Right. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not UV cross-linked and cured. And that, 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 you know, occurs with time and exposure to light. So, you know, let the part sit for at least 48 hours before you start messing with it. And that, that, you know, it's a good investment of your time. So, um, so anyway, back to, so so if the canopy is ready to dip and I'm going to use one of those three, um, I'll then, before I dip the canopy, if I've been handling the canopy, if I've been, you know, uh, putting a lot of finger oil on it, I will uh, very quickly degrease the canopy with a dip in denatured alcohol and Windex one-to-one. Now, denatured alcohol is, it comes in two kinds. I've, I've talked about this before. 
be sure you get the kind that says for cleaning glass. Right. Not the fuel kind. Not the fuel kind. It Again, a world of pain. Um, you don't want to go there. But cleaning glass and a lot of uh, 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 hardware stores are no longer carrying denatured right. alcohol. Paint stores do. And for those on the West Coast um, where it's no longer available in hardware stores, you can get it from Sherwin-Williams. Yeah, they have it. So anyway, I'll mix that up with uh, uh, old Windex with ammonia, not vinegar, and mix that one to one. And that's what I use to uh, remove all the mold release from uh, my sprues or the model prior to uh, to uh, building. So I'll soak the canopy in that, get a good degreasing on it, wipe it down with a dry chem wipe. And then when it comes to the dipping, I will find a container that is deep enough that I can put the canopy in there and submerge it. Mm-hmm. And then while holding the, 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 the canopy with a pair of tweezers, I will either use a swab, and these are either microfiber or polyester swabs, and it's just a, it's literally a little cloth-covered swab about the size of your pinky nail that I find useful for all kinds of things on my bench. And I've another, another, uh, 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 another tool that I uh, lifted from my laboratory experience, because these are everywhere in labs. But um, these swabs are great for applying glue. They're great for buffing uh, clear parts out with polish. Um, so anyway, uh, I will uh, take the uh, take a swab. And while the canopy is submerged in the clear coat, I will kind of buff the canopy with the swab. If you don't have a swab, you can make do with a Q-tip. And before everybody goes, oh, my God, you're going to get, you know, fiber Q-tip fibers on the canopy. I'll take the Q-tip. I'll kind of squeeze it between my fingers and turn it. Right. And uh, and then I'll just be mindful to be looking for fibers, you know, when I pull the canopy out of the clear coat. But I have never had a canopy ruined by Q-tip fibers. So now why do you do it while it's submerged? I'll this tell you why. I've never done. So I'll I'm, tell you why. Have you ever, new. Have you ever dipped a canopy and had the future bead? No, I have actually not had that experience, but I have heard of people who have. I have had that happen to me. And so what you're doing is just breaking surface tension or you whatever. You got it. It, it could be a, a residual mold release or a little finger oil, um, and it will repel the clear coat, especially if it's an acrylic clear coat that you're using, right? It will mm-hmm. repel it. And there was, I can't remember the model now, it was many years ago, but I dipped a canopy in future, pulled it out, looked great set it aside to dry, went back and looked, and you could see where it was beaded on one portion where it didn't she- it didn't flow. It just beaded over that portion of the can. It was ruined. And was all you got to ruined. do is get burned once. Well, the, yeah. the nice thing about future, though, is if, if something goes wrong, you can generally strip it off, correct? You can. You can, you can set it up in you know, water, alcohol, or even just water and just let it sit for a long time, and it'll go soft. And you can you can you can take it off. Yeah, that's very true. Jim's um, probably really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I will do is either with again a Q tip or a swab. I prefer a swab, um, microfiber swab. I will uh, scrub or buff the inside and the outside aspects of the canopy while it's submerged in the clear coat, and then I will pick the the canopy up again, holding it by the corner of the frame with a pair of tweezers. And I will touch the corner of the canopy to a piece of folded chem wipe. Again, chem wipe because it is lint free. 
Right. And I'll wick the excess uh, uh, future or clear coat off the canopy, just touching it to the to the tissue. And then when it you know, starts to look a little dry, I'll dip it again. Then I'll pull it out and wick it a second time. So I'll get two coats on there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I have a container that's set up, you know, basically an old Tupperware container with a lid that has some holes to get, you know, to allow air, air through. And I'll set the canopy on a piece of chem wipe folded inside of this Tupperware container, lid it or cover it and put it on the shelf and not look at it for three days. (laughs) And that's how you dip a canopy. If you're dealing with something like a window where you don't have a frame, you can't set the thing down without having the clear portion touch the tissue, right? Right. Get yourself some um, leaded uh, 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 fishing sinkers. Yeah, split split type or? Whatever like, you got, something okay. big and heavy. You can even use, a, if you've got a, a large enough container that you're using to dry your parts, you can even use a small paint bottle, you know, model mm-hmm. paint. Put that in there so you can lean the part up against the side of that bottle. Oh, okay. That right. Yeah. So you can, you know, you can touch the corners. Let's say it's a window. It's a, just a, a square framed window that you obviously you can't lay on its flat side because it'll be ruined. Right. I'll touch it to the to the the chem wipe and then I'll lean it frame, you know, uh, using the frame. I'll lean it up against a little paint bottle inside my container there, cover it, go away for three days. Now that you've talked about this fantasy world in which you get a canopy that is <laughs> that is perfect out of the box. Let's go back to what really happens, which is you have a canopy and it has an interior or exterior scratch on the surface of the clear part. See, that never happens to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if you've got, and you'll respect us in the morning. Yeah. Um, So I've got this divided into three sections, small scratches, deeper scratches and scratches. So deep they hurt when you look at them. Yeah. Okay. So starting with small scratches, if you've got little micro scratches on the outside or the inside of the canopy, a lot of times those can, those can be taken care of with just a good buffing with a Novus two plastic polish. I'm a real believer in Novus two and three are the two that I use the most. Mm-hmm. And again, um, not to not to sound like a dead horse, I will either use a Q-tip um, uh, in small circular motions on the, on you know using Novus two or three, or I'll use again a swab. And the smaller swabs that are again about the size of your pinky nail, those are great for getting inside the canopy, as well as a Q-tip for that matter. Mm-hmm. So if it is a if it is a sufficiently deep scratch and you need you know a fair amount of abrasive you know action there to to remove it, I'll go with Novus three and I'll use a polyester swab, which gives you a bit more bite. If it's less of a scratch, I'll go with Novus two and a microfiber swab. Okay. Mm-hmm. So once those those scratches are buffed out to the point where you can hold the canopy up to clear plastic and not uh, clear lot, uh, excuse me, white light and not see those scratches anymore. At that point, you go right back to what we were talking about earlier, which is buff it out with a chem wipe. Make sure it looks good. Go ahead and degrease it. Go ahead and dip it. And you're ready to use the canopy. What if, as I was saying earlier, you don't have scratches that are just little micro scratches? What if you have deep scratches that are not going to be buffable with Novus, you know, two or three? Mm-hmm. 
Before we go there, let me ask a question. Yeah. Is there a level of scratch the dip will take care of? Yes, there is. And with experience, you can you can get to a point where you can look at a canopy and go, that that's going to be covered by my clear coat. Yeah. All right. Versus that's not going to be covered by my clear coat. <laughs> well, and and here's here's a point on that. If you're not sure, you can go ahead and dip the canopy. And if it doesn't take care of the scratch, you can still go back to step one and start working on the scratch. Yeah. You have... You haven't hurt yourself by dipping. No, no. And in addition to that, remember, in addition, uh, dipping will also take, in addition to taking care of scratches, dipping also prepares the canopy for the gluing step in a way that won't fog or craze the canopy. Right. So one way or another, whether, can't, whether the canopy is crystal clear or whether it's been buffed out, I always dip it preparatory to gluing. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Second level scratches. Second level scratches. Before we get to second level scratches, where we're going to be start starting to talk about using abrasives, I want to take a little step back here and talk about the abrasive spectrum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you like that? I like that. The <laughs> abrasive spectrum. The best abrasive spectrum. So. I'm going to be calling out abrasives that I have used for umpteen years at my bench. And anybody who knows a little bit about model paint solutions will tell you that 98% of the canopy grew out of my workbench. In other words, if it's on the site, it's on my bench. That's why it's yeah. on the site. So when I go through my abrasive spectrum, I'm going to be uh, calling out abrasives that I've used for a long time and the ones that are on my site. That does not mean that you cannot go down to your local hobby shop, your local Lowe's, whatever you have, and come up with a series of abrasives, you know, uh, stringent abrasives, you know, aggressive abrasives down to less aggress uh, 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 aggressive. Um, uh, come up with a spectrum of these things that works for you, that doesn't necessarily use the same abrasives that I use. But the idea is to have a series of abrasive tools that go from really aggressive to progressively less aggressive to the point where you're just doing just a surface buffing. Right. And once you get this spectrum, this series of, of abrasives worked out, it becomes much easier to deal with scratches because you can look at that scratch and go, well, am I, am I going to have to start with 400 grit? Is it that deep? Or can I get by with starting with 600 grit? Or is it even better? Can I get by with starting with 1,000 grit? Right. I know that uh, hobby shops sell um, uh, packets. Uh, a lot of this apparently is for uh, auto modelers to polish their finishes. You know, they want that mirror new car finish. So the you go into the hobby shop and in a packet, they've got uh, 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 abrasives that start at a thousand and go 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. 20, 20 40, 60. 20, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that basically when you – once you get to the upper reaches of those abrasives, the 20, the 40, whatever, it feels like paper. Yes. I mean, yes. it, you, it does not feel like an abra what we would think of as an abrasive. Exactly right. And th those, those sets of abrasive, uh, abrasives that you're referring to, those are exactly like the ones that I have on my site. Yeah. Um, and they come in, you know, groups. Um, so, it, it, you know, 
what I start with, my, my spectrum going from most aggressive starts with, first off, I'm a firm believer in alpha abrasives. They are synthetic sandpapers. Yeah. They're, they are smoother. They, they work a little different than conventional sandpapers. What I, I like about them the best is they do what I call less collateral damage. Right. Um, if you have a scratch in a plastic and you use conventional sandpaper, you can get rid of the scratch, but you end up putting a lot of smaller scratches around where the scratch was. If you use the right alpha abrasive, uh, uh, you find that they do less of that collateral scratching and just basically take care of, you know, you know, the, the primary scratch. So anyway, um, from what, what Alpha calls their uh, waterproof professional, you know, finishing kit, I'll start with uh, 400 grit, 600 grit, and 1,000 grit. So those are my, it, for, for, for a deep scratch, I'm going to go with 400. For a less deep scratch, I'm going to start with 600. For even less, I'll start with 1,000. Now, after I get that scratch worked out of the plastic so that there's no more scratch, but now the scratchy, the, the plastic is all milky, Right and not translucent, then I'll switch to the next the next abrasive in that spectrum, which for me is the sanding films um, of 10, 15, 20,000. Mm-hmm. Or again, along that spectrum, I'll go into micro mesh. And I am a huge fan of micro mesh, mm-hmm. whether it is stuck onto a pad or whether you're using it as a sheet. Um, I don't build a model without most of the the parts on that kit being touched by micro mesh in some way or other. And for working scratches out on canopies, I will go with their 3,200 grit, their 3,600, their 4,000 grit. Those are great grits to, to, to get the, the plastic more translucent after you remove the scratch. After you go through micro mesh down to, to four or 6,000 grit micro mesh, then you'll be set up to go right back to Novus two with a polyester or microfiber swab or Novus three. Well, and something I want to emphasize to, to, to bring to the attention of what, on what you just said, the initial abrasives, the 400, the 600, the, the thousand, those are the ones that are actually taking away plastic so that you are getting rid of the scratch itself, the imperfection in the plastic. Everything past that, what you're attempting to do is restore the clarity. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to invest a little time and come up with your abrasive spectrum. You know, your your tools arranged in, a, you know, most aggressive to least aggressive. So you don't make the mistake of going to an abrasive that is way more aggressive than you need and make right. way more damage in the plastic than you, you know, than you had to. So, yeah, it's exactly right. So the 400, the 400, wow, that was embarrassing. The 400, the <laughs> 600, the, the thousand, oh, excuse me, the 400 and the 600, that's for getting rid of the scratches. Past 600 grit, we start getting into a thousand. We start getting into micro mesh of 32, 36, 4,000. That's where you're polishing the, the, uh, the plastic back to translucency. And then once you get it to that point, you can go right back to what we were saying earlier. Now you no longer have a deep scratch. Now you have a less deep scratch. So you can go right back to your Novus 3, your Novus 2, your Chem Wipe, your, your, uh, your uh, uh, degreasing, and then you're dipping in a clear coat. 
And now you're back to that mythical perfect canopy that came out of the box without any problems. Exactly right. Exactly right. And if you move on to, you know, the next, the next, um, the next one, which would be, um, uh, scratches so hard there. Yeah. So scratches so hard, it hurts to look at them there. You're going to be resigned to probably going all the way down to 400 grit. And that's what I use. Alpha braces, 400 grit. Again, it's synthetic. So it doesn't do as much collateral damage, but it is still a very aggressive yeah. sandpaper. And that 400 grit is about as aggressive as, as I will use on a clear plastic part in order to remove a scratch. Right. And just simply because if it's, a again, an awful scratch, if you use something, uh, something higher than, by higher, I mean sm- uh, a number less than 400, you're just putting so many new scratches into the plastic that you're better off using the 400 and taking more time to get rid of that deep, deep scratch than going to 320 or 200 where you're just going to, you know, uh, you're, you're creating as many problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're creating more problems than, than you're completely fixing. Completely. uh, I think something a lot of people, they're afraid to sand a clear part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And I under, I understand it because, you know, it's one of those things that when you first put that, that abrasive, I don't want to say sandpaper. Once you first put that abrasive, that 400 to the canopy and you sand on it, your first look is, oh my God, I've, I've screwed this up and ruined it. But, you know, 99.9% of the times you haven't. There's nothing that you can't fix in that regard if it is indeed a surface scratch. Exactly. Exactly. And with with time, you know, the other thing is when you're trying to determine how bad the scratch is, uh, having a really good light and most importantly, good magnification is key. Because, Mm -hmm. you you know, you can oftentimes under good magnification uh, determine whether the scratch is on the outer face or the inner face of the canopy. And that's something important to know before you start sanding things. It sure is. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, let's not forget the the most difficult scratch to remove is, you know, let's use just a hypothetical example. P40 Warhawk, let's make it 70 second scale so it's small. And you have a deep scratch inside the curved portion. Oh, mm-hmm. you are a cruel man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's where you know that's what separates the the modelers from the from the non modelers at that point, right? Yeah, that's a real that's probably the hardest one to deal with. And there, you know, you, you can use the same um, uh, spectrum of abrasives. What you may end up doing is is folding those abrasives into small one inch square sheets. And then doubling those over to get half round shapes that you can work into the top of that canopy and work that scratch out. But with enough patience, um, you can get you can you can buff practically any scratch out, even the one on the inside of the canopy. Now, when you're saying when you are using your abrasive spectrum, you are always using water, correct? Almost always. The only time I don't use not only water, but soapy water. 
And, soap and that's really important because the soap really does add a lot to decreasing the friction and just giving you a smoother finish, whatever you're using. The synthetic uh, uh, papers that Alpha make really love to be used wet. I mean, that's that's how they're best that's used. That's right. That's their point. Yeah. So, but, you know, with regards to, to, you know, how I make my water up, just imagine your average, you know, coffee mug, you know, volume of water. I'll probably put 10 or 12 good sized drops of liquid detergent, you know, dishwashing detergent in that. That's a lot of soap. Yeah. I use a lot of soap and because I want things lubricated, I don't want to be making more micro scratches that are going to show up, especially if we're working on a Mustang that's destined to be natural metal. <laughs> Let's pull out all the nightmares, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that's a good point. You know, all of the steps here, except that final step with a chem wipe to remove static electricity, all of these steps are done with uh, soapy cold water. Right. Now you've got you've got us to the point where we have a crystal clear, beautiful canopy that's been dipped in future and shines. You know, it looks like a you know the you've you've gone to Zales with your fiance and <laughs> and you've got the, the you know the the jewel the guy the was trying to, to, to sell <laughs> puts that rock under that light and it just explodes into into so you've got that canopy. We're there. We're there. Okay. Now we have to actually mask it and paint it so i want to only touch on masking because that that is a topic in and of itself all right masking canopies and um this is how he gets himself back on the show all the time yeah i know it's true it's true it's true (laughs) you figured that out yeah. <laughs> so if you go to, to my site, um, I did three articles on masking canopies. Any canopy fetishist should be worth three articles on masking canopies. Well, and um, that, that's funny. Before you came on, I was talking with Mike. And believe it or not, yes, believe it or not, there is actually show prep that is sometimes done for the show. I went to YouTube <laughs> nearly every modeling channel, and there are tons of modeling channels on youtube yeah Yeah, there are nearly every one has a canopy and canopy masking feature yes because it is so important yes it's critical Okay, so we'll you have can, you we'll have you back for masking, but go ahead and let, say what let, you were going to so, say. Yeah, so it's it's absolutely critical. It's it, it, it's a shame to put all your time into removing scratches, buffing, and dipping the canopy, and then you know to screw up masking it. I mean that's that's it's it's a critical it's a critical skill. But you have um, articles. I've got three different articles, and I try to divide it into different types of canopies. Uh, uh, you know, the most dreaded uh, 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 canopy, like a T6 or a Hawker the, Hurricane. The greenhouse. Yes, the a birdcage canopy, a greenhouse canopy. Those those can be a challenge. Um, some people will say uh, uh, greenhouse canopies with rounded corners. Yes. Those can be a nightmare. Um, so I, I try to divide that up into, you know, three s- different canopy styles, if you will, and the approaches I use to mask them. But in short, one of the things I don't do is I don't take a blade ever to a clear piece of plastic. Gotcha. What I mean to say by that is some guys, you know, using Tamaya masking tape or pair, God, 
bare metal foil, oh. bare metal foil or parafilm or whatever they're doing. They'll put that on the canopy and then they will take an exacto blade and use you the know, frame as a guide and use the frame as a guide. And number one, I, I'm not that good with a blade. I've said that before. Um, I, that's kind of like a weakness of mine as a builder. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a good bladesman. Well, you need a Remington microscreen then. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thank thing you, is, thank you for the shaving reference, Mike. That was great. No, the other, nobody under the age of 50 got that joke, but you and I got it. <laughs> the other thing is, and I don't know if this ever happened to you, but, um, when I was a wee baby modeler and cutting, you know, masking tape on canopy frames, um, I would occasionally have the clear coat crack where I put the blade. Wow. And it usually happened in, in those those areas of the canopy where you have a little 90 degree you know, angle and right. the clear coat has has wicked and made a, a, a rounded fillet. Yes. Right there. And it's I know thick. exactly what you're telling. Tell, micro See, thicker than the rest of the application. Just thick enough that if you hit it with the tip of an X-Acto, it'll crack. Yeah. And that's happened to me way too many times. So anyway, I don't put a blade to canopy ever. Um, what I will do is I will take very small strips of masking tape and you can, you know, t start with Tamiya tape and a straight edge and, you know, uh, cut right. yourself some strips that are a millimeter wide. That's it. Yep. One millimeter. Or as chance would have it, um, on model <laughs> paint solutions, I care, I carry a masking tapes from Japan, which are beautifully oh. cut, um, super thin 0.4 millimeter. I, ha I have them all. The yeah. Great that's not, yeah, that wasn't a, that wasn't a typo or a miss or a mispronunciation 0.4.7 millimeters yep. wide so yep. i will usually go with something super thin like that and what i'll do is i'll take that super thin tape and i will tape the think of you in your mind's eye a square a square window with a square frame i will use that tape and just mask off the inner periphery of the clear portion right it'll just be a square right Right. And then once that's laid down and embossed with a with a, an embosser, and I'm a firm believer in using a an embosser anytime you use masking tape. Right. You're when you say embosser, you're talking about what in the old graphic design uh, world was was called a burnisher when you put yes. down set tape or yep. electroset letters, and then you burnish over it to make it flat. It's Boy, kind of a a ball or a sometimes they're spoon shaped. Or a stylus, as they're or called. Or stylus, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're we're dating ourselves because we both went to graduate school and used those kinds of letters for posters, right? And, yeah. <laughs> I, That's right. I, John, John, next time we're both at the Nationals together, you and I are going to have a conversation about letter set letters and, and all of that stuff. <laughs> yes. yeah. and, I'll tell, and I'll tell you why I know all of that. That's exactly right. I mean, that's that's exactly the burnishing tool that I'm referring to. I've got uh, a couple of different versions on my site. I'm a firm believer in them. This is how you make sure that you don't get paint wicking under your masking tape if you take time to burnish it down. Mm -hmm. and, and and for those who don't know, a burnishing tool, imagine a BB, just about uh, the size of a BB, and you put that you know on the end of a, a metal stalk with a handle. 
and you can get that little BB right down on, you know, it's got a smooth uh, 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 surface so it doesn't uh, uh, scratch or grab the tape. And you can emboss the tape down onto the plastic and seal it so it doesn't, you know, paint won't wick under it. So once I tape my frame off, just the periphery of the clear portion with my Azu tape, then I'll go back in there and I'll, that's when I'll switch to masking Sol R. And I'll take a brush full of that, and I'll put that in the middle of the uh, the the the, the mast fr- you know, the, the mast framed area, if you will, and simply paint that clear area with masking Sol R right up to the masking tapes, and let that dry. Now, will you agree with me that the greatest invention of the 21st century was not the iPhone? It was not the personal computer. It was, however, pre-cut masks <laughs> well it certainly wasn't the cell phone let me just say that um but uh, you know i'd have to agree with you and i should have prefaced that you know if if there is an uh, a set of edward die cut masks or there's so many companies that make them right. now yeah. if you can get that for the kit you're working on oh my gosh go that route that's the way to go Right. But there are plenty of kits where that is not available. Exactly. And if you want to build it, yep. the, what you just described is the way to, in essence, create your own pre-cut mask effect. Exactly. Exactly. This is a way that you can mask with, with masking tape. And, and again, masking Solar, if you like you know that technique, and never have to put a blade onto your canopy and run the risk of scratching the canopy, which I always seem to do. <laughs> so let's, let's take one step back and go back to that frame canopy, that frame window. And instead of having square corners, let's make it like an F6F Hellcat and give it rounded corners. Oh, cause that's always so much better. It's, it's really easy to deal with though. And on the site, on, on my site, uh, I have uh, three different sheets of die cut circles. Oh, the, um, I know the, ones you're talking about and some of them are only a millimeter in diameter these are tiny little die cut circles it is very easy to find a circle on one of these three sheets that fits the radius exactly that will fit perfectly into that radius so you take four dots you 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 basically mask each corner each rounded corner with a circle and then go back to your thin azu connect those dots with a thin piece of azu and now you have basically framed out your your window that you can now fill in with masking Sol R and be done with it. Well, that that and and that is so much better than either putting bare metal foil or big sheets of Tamiya tape and putting a blade in no matter how sharp and trying to keep it up against the molded frame. Cause again, the, the, the modeling companies are getting better and better and more delicate and more delicate in the molding of their surface features. And that comes to canopies as well. Yes. And you know, in the old days, let's face it, the frog or the Airfix frame was so thick that, you know, it was a pretty good guide. There wasn't a lot of wandering that was going to happen because, you're, you know, the, the frame itself was so thick that it was easy to keep the blade up against it. Yeah, Whereas, try, that with, 
fine yep. molds. Exactly. That's exactly yep. what I was going to say. Try that with a fine molds or an Arma kit. <laughs> yeah, where, good luck with that. Where the frame step is microscopic. There is almost nothing to rest your blade up against and right. follow. But it is easy to t- to use that same frame step. Right. And push a piece of micro tape right parallel with because, it. Because the worst that happens, the tape doesn't lay correctly. You can see it right away yep. and you can pull it up and yep. put down another piece. And readjust it. Exactly it, right. The yeah. the the other thing real quick I'll say on this is a couple more quick tricks on this. When you when you if you try masking a canopy like this with thin strips and you know, let's say dots in the corners, it really helps to immobilize the canopy on a building board because you do need two hands. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll take a piece of you know uh, putty, a big wad of putty, and I'll 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 shove that into the, you know the, the if you will let's let's say we're doing a Spitfire uh, the rear rear sliding portion of a Spitfire canopy right gotcha. so i'll take a piece of putty mark 22 i'll pick take a piece of putty i'll shove that into the canopy and then i'll use that to affix it onto a building board then when i go to put my little dots on my little azu tape i have the tape in in forceps in my right hand and i have a, a, a toothpick or something in my left hand that i use to direct the tape to where i want it on the canopy right. when i let it go of the tweezers yeah, and to pin it down, and to pin it at down, the anchor point at one end. Exactly, it is so difficult to do that if you're holding the canopy with one hand and trying to do what is a two-handed, you know, trick with with the other hand. So, you know, I should have said this earlier. Trick number one: immobilize the canopy onto a piece of of you know workboard so that you have both hands when you do the masking. So that's that's the first thing. Um, and then, you know, again, secondly to that, uh, after, after the canopy is, is entirely masked, or I should say the frames are delineated, go with your masking solar, let that dry at least 24 hours, let the masking saw cure. And last thing is when you go to paint it, we're jumping all the way into paint real quick here. When sure. you go to paint that canopy, let's say it's a T6, we know with the, with the, you know, the, the birdcage canopy, try not to shoot a wet coat. Right over your over your mast canopy or your your mast can uh um you know car parts your window parts, um try to use just a a light dry coat over those mast areas. Begs a question, and sure. we're going to have you back for masking canopies, the masking part in full. There's a long discussion. Do you before you shoot either the interior frame color? Do you shoot a clear coat to seal the edges, like a very mist coat of future or whatever your clear is, to seal the edges before you start applying paint? Never. See, I do if you're using pre-cut masks, Hmm. as opposed to what you've just described where you're making your own. Yeah, I've I, I've used both, and I've I, I I've never used that kind of uh, a clear coat uh, seal, if you will. Um, in large part because my concern is that you don't the want, step. yeah, well, you don't yeah. want something cured where you're going to be pulling a tape, yeah, because that's going to lead to you know little nicks and little 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 gouges where that's that's cured clear coat that's going to be ripped, right, right. 
Um, so, I mean, if it works for you, that's awesome. I've, I've never done it because I, 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 sh- I shouldn't say that I did try it, you know, years ago. And that's what I got is little gouges when I pulled my tape. So maybe I gotcha. put my clear on too thick, but anyway, yeah, I know I don't though. I don't. So you've, you let's go to the question Mike asked, cause I think this is an important one. Do you put the canopy on the model before you mask and paint it? Or do you put the canopy on the model? after you've masked and painted and i've got an answer for this and i'm interested to see if it lines up with yours both i was going to say it depends it depends you know because there's so many variables out there i will tell you my preference my preference is always to mask the canopy off the model right that that way i have better access to it and if i screw it up i have better access to fix the screw up Right. Um, now, let's uh, say you yeah. let's say you've always masked it off the model before yeah. you paint it. Yeah. Do you attach it to the model or not? I like to do a lot of my models open canopy. Yeah. So that the answer to that is no. I usually because I'm going to pose it open. Right. So right. I will usually paint them separate and then glue the mo- glue the canopy posed. Yeah. Um, if it's going to be a closed uh, canopy model. I will mask first, then I will glue the canopy in place, then I will paint. Gotcha. And I think in general, that's true. I think the the key in all of that for me is always to test fit the canopy with with the assembled model. Yes. And see what you're dealing with. Yep. Because I think if it's one of the, let's say it's a fine molds kit or Tamiya kit, and you drop that canopy down and it fits so perfectly it looks like it was molded as part of the the the, the fuselage piece right that's a model where you can keep the canopy off paint the canopy separately drop it on at the end and you'll never know the difference whereas a lot of models don't fit quite that way right at which point you need to put the canopy on and fill or adjust or fiddle. And that's a situation where you might want to consider putting the canopy on before you paint it. Right. And, you know, another thing, another thing to consider is if, is if you're going to put the, the canopy on, let's say, uh, before you paint. Okay. One mm-hmm. of the things you're going to want to do is fire up the compressor, and if you've got a little miniature blowgun, Harder Steenbeck has these great little blowguns that I love. I keep one uh, hooked up next to my bench all the time. You can also use an airbrush with a, a small tip on it. Blow the cockpit out. Right. Turn the model upside down, shake it really hard, flick it with your fingers a couple of times, and then blow every little nook and cranny in the cockpit out to get all of the little dust and stuff out of the cockpit before you put your canopy on top. <laughs> Cause we've all, we all been there, right? We've all been there, right? <laughs> you peel Here's the, an- you peel the masking off right. and get the canopies glued onto the model. You peel the masking off and you're like, what the yep. hell is that? And then, then you do the, the, how many, how many, how many have done this? Then you end up trying to flick the canopy with your fingernail <laughs> to knock the dust particle off the canopy back into the cockpit. So you won't see it. Yep. 
Okay. Been there, done that, have the t-shirt. So this is one more reason to uh, buff the canopy out with a chem wipe earlier in the process. Think about it. A lot of that dust is sticking to the inside of the canopy because you buffed it, you sanded it. It has all this um, uh, charge, has static static charge, and it's going to attract dust. And I, I will say this emphatically. When I started buffing my canopies out with a chem wipe dry, to remove static electricity during the building process, that dust sticking to the inside of my canopy went away. Yeah. So I think it's, that people don't do not appreciate the static electricity that styrene builds up. Yep. Just from normal handling. Exactly. Exactly. So here's here's one more. Let's take one more step back. Let's uh, again applicable to uh, aircraft or cars. Let's say you're going to do a model, uh, let's say it's an ME109, and you're going to do it closed canopy, okay? So one of the things you're going to want to think about is when you're building that kit, before you put the fuselage halves together, you may want to think about taking a putty worm, right? Everybody knows what a putty worm is. It's at the bottom of a tequila bottle, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you you know, you roll the poster putty out until you get a worm, you know, and- right. What I do is, you know, let's say you have the typical cockpit tub that glues into the the right side of the fuselage. Right. I'll take a putty worm and I'll seal all the little nooks and crannies in between the tub and the side of the fuselage underneath the tub, right? Where you won't see the putty worm. Right. And then I'll put another putty worm on the tub so that when the uh, fuselage halves are closed... That one on the other side of the tub gets crushed in place, sealing the tub off. With the idea being that if you seal the tub from the inside, all the little vents and holes and, and, and uh, openings in the fuselage, they're going to let dust and sanding debris into the fuselage. Won't matter because the cockpit tub will be sealed off. Gotcha. Right. You can also apply that to all those vents and holes and louvers on the airframe. If you can get a piece of tape, you can you uh, and tape that off from the inside. You can always take a sharpie and paint the the sticky portion of the tape black, mm-hmm. and then put that you know on the inside of the fuselage, covering the vent or the hole to lessen the chance down the road in the building process of introducing debris and dust inside the fuselage or the car body that will work its way onto the inside of your windows. Yeah, let's face it, you're doing a lot of sanding. Even with the best model, you're doing sanding. And what sanding creates is little particles of dust. Yep, yep. So I will will seal the cockpit tub in place with putty worms. I will seal vents and holes and louvers with putty worms. You can also, by the way, that putty also uh, will will take Sharpie ink. Mm -hmm. So you can actually, you know, paint that putty black and then, stick it on the inside of the model to, you know, block off louvers and holes. So that's one step I do on, on a kit, uh, whatever the kit is as, as just one way of lessening the chance down the road of having dust and debris work its way onto the inside of the plastic parts, thereby ruining them. Right. Yep. So, okay. Um, so now, now let's actually, if you want to, we can segue into actually gluing the part onto the model. That's, that's exactly. Exactly what I was gonna gonna yep. say. Congratulations, you're you're 
You're exactly where where I thought we'd be. So we've got this beautiful canopy. It is beautifully masked. It is either painted if we painted it off or we're going to attach it before we paint it. Either way, we have a clear part that is made from one type of styrene. We want to attach it to a model that is another type of styrene. How do we do it? Bob Smith Gold Orderless CA. Okay. I've been using that stuff for years. And I don't like using Tamiya Thin Cement to put canopies on because it's so easy to lose control of. Right. If it wicks someplace you didn't intend it. Yep. Again, world of pain. Also, that is a pretty hot cement that will craze or um, fog canopies really easily. Gotcha. And I've done that too many times myself. Now, keep in mind, a lot of regular CAs will fog yeah. a canopy. It, you so beat you're me talking to it. about something specific. You beat me to it. Most, if not all, CAs will claw, uh, will uh, fog or craze clear plastic without a doubt. But here's the deal. If you have dipped your canopy in a clear coat first whether it's mission, alclad or preferably you know future, you know or pledge. Right. If you use the, if you glue that dipped canopy in place with gold odorless CA glue, you will get no crazing or fogging whatsoever. Now this is the gold label Bob's Explain to everybody what Bob Smith is. So Bob Smith is, you know, this dude, Bob Smith, that makes this, uh, most of the CA glues that you see in hobby shops. If you look, it may have the hobby shop's name on the, right. on the glue bottle. But if you look, you know, either under that label or somewhere on the bottle, you'll see Bob Smith Industries. Right. And, and what he does guy- is he sells to hobby shops and he lets them brand the glue with their particular hobby shop name. Exactly. And he makes, you know, he makes the thin, the thick, whatever, uh, gap filling. And what I like to use is the gold odorless thick, um, you know, CA glue. And it is CA, you you know, it doesn't have quite as much bite as does the normal CA because I use them side by side when I'm building. So it so, doesn't dry as quickly or anything like that. It, it dries about the same. It just seems a little less structural in that it has a little less bite. Okay. Okay. But it has more than enough, you know, uh, structural integrity to hold a, a, a canopy in place, which isn't structural, right? Right. So it's not load bearing. So, yeah. And the other reason I like the the CA glue, the thick, is because you you put it where you want it. You don't have to worry about it running or wicking. And that's, that's a, a big fear of mine when I'm putting a canopy on, especially if I'm posing the canopy open. You know, I, I want to have just a few daubs of glue exactly where I need them to hold that canopy in place and not worry about, uh, about you know, uh, glue wicking. So anyway, the combination of Bob Smith Gold CA um, on a clear coat dipped canopy will give you a 99.9% chance of getting that canopy glued in place without any fogging or crazing. That's the secret. Now, you don't use glue and glaze or ultra glue or any of the white glue products. You know, I don't. Um, I will occasionally, 
if I am backed into a corner where I, you know, for some reason or other, I, I didn't get a clear coat on the canopy or it's just a, 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 a difficult, you know, fit, I will resort to, um, what do you call that? Gator glue. Right. The, you know, the basically refined white glue is all it is. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of white glue because as you know, it's, it's not even close to structural. Right. You know, and you can usually pull the part right off, you know, if it's glued on with white glue. I usually glue all of my canopies on with Bob Smith Gold CA. Okay. Uh, So you've got the canopy on there. It's on. You've got it glued beautifully. And you're looking at the edge where the canopy meets the fuselage. And there's a spot where it doesn't look quite right. There's a gap. There's a gap. Okay. So what do you do to solve that problem? So you got a couple of options there. Um, If it's a small gap that you're not going to have to scribe through. Yeah. Right. So let's say, yeah. So let's say, you know, it's just, it's a little gap on top of where the hinge line is. Right. Exactly. You can you can actually get by with some of these um some of these acrylic putties, like the Vallejo putty, which it's, is mar- marble dust. Exactly. Is- yeah. You know, and you can just put a little bit of that on a, on the end of a, a moist uh, uh, toothpick, and trowel that into the uh, the 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 you know the the gap. Let that dry, and, and as, as long as it's not too big of a gap, because it does shrink a little bit. You do, you right. do lose a little volume. But as yeah. long as it's not a big gap, that's what I use. Okay. And that works really, really well. Here's one for you. You're going to love this. If you've not painted the model, you've glued the canopy on, you right. see this gap, go to Mr. Surfacer 500 or 1,000, mm-hmm. fill the gap in with Mr. Surfacer 500 or 1,000. Very delicately. Then, very delicately. And then... Wait for that to dry really well. <laughs> this is key. Don't right. start too early. Let it go overnight so it's completely dry. Then grab yourself some Gunze leveling thinner. Right. Or denatured alcohol will do the same thing. De- here. So you know where I'm going. So why don't you finish? Exactly. With either. Because he's not the guest. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> denatured alcohol or Gunze thinner. Actually, rem- like on a Q-tip or a, a uh, you know, one of those uh, uh, swab pa- swabs, pads, whatever. Yep. So- soaked in denatured alcohol or Gunsey thinner, and then squeezed out so it's yep. not too wet. Right. And you wipe slash scrub along that line. It will take everything above the gap, the extra quote unquote extra. Mr. Surfacer, right off. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Mike, right. I, Mike actually gave me a tip. Glass cleaning, uh, you know, like uh, 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 eyeglass cleaning cloths. Yeah. 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 You, you tend to accumulate them. You can, yeah. you can use those for that exact same thing. Wet it, huh. squeeze out. And, you know, if it's a flat surface that you can just rub your finger over. Oh, yeah. I love those things. Yeah. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, that's what I would use. I mean, if it's it's a gap that you can get on with a a Q-tip and a little Gunze, 
Um, by the way, before we before we end, remind me to tell you how to improve um, uh, Gunze leveling thinner. Uh, what do you oh, call, whoa, what do you guys whoa, call whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Unicorn tears? There is an Unicorn improvement tears. to you? Oh, okay. there is. This is there breaking, is. There is there breaking is. news here and now, gentlemen. We're not going to go past this. And I'll how tell you, you, and I'll tell you next could, time. Good night. <laughs> how, could, damn, <laughs> how can you possibly improve on the single greatest modeling product ever made? Dr. S has left the building. Bye by the leader. (laughs) Yeah. Well, other than bye by the leader, which they currently don't sell. So are we done with filling the gap? Yeah, we we filled the gap. We've given the people. This is breaking news. Let's let's finish just real quick. If the gap if the gap has to be scribed through. So yeah. let's say you have a gap in the canopy and the canopy hinge line goes right through that gap. And, you know, you when you fill the gap, it's going to leave this blob. Right. Right. In that case, I bite the bullet and I go back to my Gunze surfacer, usually 500 or a thousand. I'll fill that gap in. I'll let it dry. I'll protect the canopy with tape or prescribing tape. I'll knock that down ever so carefully using the edge of a folded piece of 600 or a thousand alpha abrasive. And then rescribe it. I mean, there's no there's there's no magic no magic there other than uh, having good light and magnification when you're when you're you know sanding down the little bleb. Outside right. of that, that's the only trick. Well, and when you're rescribing through Mister Surfacer five hundred or a thousand sharp blade and light touch. Yes, because it is Soft. more delicate than than. Yeah. styrene plastic. Yeah, and when you go to you know to to restore that that scribed hinge line through what you filled, same same you know rule applies there. Ever so gentle when you scribe through the putty, or you'll gouge it. Yeah, yeah. So now let's get back to this breaking news. I am amazed that that unicorn tears can be improved. How? Where'd you hear that? You just told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I told you next show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, I am working on a Tamaya 148 scale Yag Tiger. Okay. Good, and I'm good. Good. Good vehicle. Good kit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful kit. And I'm trying to do more armor. And um, I'm doing the ambush scheme, tricolor wow. ambush scheme. So uh, I'm doing a lot of fine line and I'm sitting there in my shop and I just put the heater on to take the chill off because it's cold up in Seattle these days. And so <laughs> it's it was, cold in Louisville too. It, yeah. And so it was, it was arid in the room there where I was working and I'm, I'm shooting AK real colors diluted to about 30% with Gunze leveling thinner. And I'm just kind of having to deal with a little bit of tip dry. You know, because mm-hmm. it's such a dry, arid day. So, bottom line is, what I did was I took some of the Tamaya Mild Paint Retarder. Comes in a square bottle with an orange uh, cap on it. If you can't find some, as Chance would have it, I'll have it on the site next week. <laughs> You're good, man. You're you good. like that? Was was that you, smooth you, or what? That, that was smooth as you like that? Yeah, I slid that one in there. There um, you go. I've been sitting on this stuff for too long, 
like I've got too many things I, I need to launch on the site. And after I did this little trick, I'm committed to launching it next week. Um, anyway, bottom line is if you take that Tamiya mild paint retarder and add it to Gunze leveling thinner to about 10% by volume, and I mixed up some uh, Gunze leveling with that added ahead of time in a, you know, a pharmaceutical bottle. And then I went back and, and diluted my AK to 30% in that you know diluent. The tip dry went away. There was no tip dry, none whatsoever. The lines, so you, the lines were, became thinner and easier to shoot. The overspray became less. Um, it, it was, it was, it went from a, an enjoyable experience because you know AK shoots so nice in Gunze. Yes. It went yeah. from a, an enjoyable experience to a a uh, uh, I don't know how. how yeah, it was. <laughs> I was. I was. I was. I was. I was. I was changed. <laughs> Angels were singing. They now, truly do you, were. Do you do you attribute that to to the arid condition? Yeah, that's exactly okay. what it is. And you know, and I wrote I write about this a fair amount in various articles. You know, the effect of uh, uh, humidity on painting, especially if you're shooting acrylics, as you both know, acrylics are horrendously sensitive to, to, uh, to the hydration, you know, uh, right. State. Because of their carrier. Exactly. Cause it's water. Um, uh, but you know what? Uh, uh, lacquers are also sensitive to, uh, increased drying rates when it's, when it's Be- arid outside. Because they evaporate so quickly. Exactly. Exactly. So when you add some of that Tamaya mild retarder to 10%. Dave's a chemist now. <laughs> to ten percent by volume into the leveling thinner, it goes. It goes from just a good thinner to one that you, I mean, literally, I'm shooting fine lines. I'm not wiping the tip like I normally do every two or three minutes, no matter what I'm shooting. I'm not having to wipe it every two or three minutes because there's literally no paint sticking to the needle. Okay, so I have to ask you one question: Do yeah. you carry the uh, Mister Masking Saw R too? I do. Then you're going to be getting an order from me. All right. <laughs> See, I'm I'm convinced that he comes on and he do, does this not so take for your the, money, not for the wider audience, just because he knows he's going to get some of my money every single time. Well, you're you're shooting you're shooting an infinity, aren't you, David? I'm shooting an infinity. Yeah, you need to add an evolution to that. <laughs> oh God! Look at listen. <laughs> I have four airbrushes now. Don't do this to me, man. He's only got two hands. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's the secret. Um, like I said, if you can't find the Tamaya Mild, I'm going to have it on the site. I'm actually adding a whole new page to the site next week called Lacquer Paint Reagents, and I've got Gunze Leveling Thinner in stock, and that's oh, going to go. Yep. That that sometimes gets real hard to find. Hard our, to find. Yep. Our our local hobby shop here, you know, you walk in sometimes and it's like the 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 unicorn tears fairy arrived, but right. of course everybody's been waiting for it, and so it disappears overnight, and then Japanese dock workers strike for the next <laughs> nine months, and you know you never see it again. Yeah. Which is why when my distributor uh, got a couple of distributors, when, when he had the Gunze leveling in stock, I stocked up on a bunch of it. And yeah. so I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on a lot of it. And I've got also the Tamiya Retarder in stock as well. And both of those are going to be launched on the new uh, Lacquer Paints Reagent page next week. 
So um, hold hold your order till then, David, and I'll put some mild retarder in there for you so you'll be ready to go. See, you know that meme from Futurama where it's shut up and take my money? That's that's what you're going to (laughs) get. Shut up and take my money. (laughs) All right. All right. So did we fail to cover anything you had in your copious notes? It, we covered everything in the notes, um, Ooh, and maybe good. a few things that weren't in the notes. So I think we did a, a at least at least I got the basics across today. I think. Yeah. Well, we're we're definitely having you again. You 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 don't have to you 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 don't have to tease <laughs> things. We're going to have you back anyway. But we are now definitely going to have you back for more on masking the canopy. Well, John, thanks for joining us again. We'll get you back on here soon, and uh, we'll learn something else. And we very much appreciate all of, all of your information, man. I Like I said, every time I learn something new. I appreciate that, guys. Well, happy modeling to you. Same to you. Getting the right size base for your model, diorama, or vignette can be difficult and time-consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom size display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches and any size in between, you choose the dimensions you want and you get the size you need every time. They can also be laser engraved with a unit emblem or custom text of your choice. In addition, shipping is always included within the lower 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their new products or to get your own custom-built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 10% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 10% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. We're almost at the end of the episode. Uh, modeling fluids are down toward the bottom of the glass. So how was your new bourbon? I'm interested to hear Ah, uh, this is good. Now I went to a small independent store and got this, so the price point was not bad, but a little higher than my bullet. So I got to think what it might be if I went and bought it at a big box store, right? Ah, uh, but even at the price I paid, this is really excellent. Uh it's a ten year, so the the flavor there's a lot of vanilla in this, uh, a lot of nuttiness. It's it's really really good. And now, what's the ABV? 90, it's 90 proof. Okay. So, so. For, a ten, for a 10 year, that's it's been cut back a little bit. Yes. But uh I, I think they got it right. Well good. I'll I'll have to I'll have to look for that. I don't I don't recognize that name. It's affordable and it's it's really good. I I recommend it a lot. Well, uh believe it or not, Trader Joe's Kentucky Bourbon. Again, now it's just like yours, it's 90 proof. Uh, I do not know how long it's been aged, but given the very light color, it my bet is four years. It's it's not it's not Buffalo Trace. It's not you know it's not high end. Again, I had some previously just as a shot just to to get a, a straight taste of it. Like a lot of young bourbons, you get the heat up front. Uh, now I will tell you there wasn't a bad aftertaste. Uh, there wasn't a lot of complexity to it because again, it's really young, but if you're going to use it as a mixer in an old fashioned, a Manhattan or 
in my case, a highball. Trader Joe's all across the country should be easy for a lot of people to find. Snatch yourself up a bottle. Now, again, the model wife works there, so I get the discount. It costs me about 11 12 bucks. It only costs, you know, straight off the shelf retail, like fifteen ninety nine. It's It's well worth drinking at fifteen ninety nine, especially if you're using it as a mixer. So again, recommend we've got two recommendeds on this episode. That's right. We got Trader Joe's and Russell's Reserve tenure. Perfect. Go get some. You got it. So Mike, we're almost to the end here. Um do you have a shout out? I do. We got to get back on track, Dave. Uh, we okay. got to sh- we got to shout out our con- our contributors who make this show possible. Yes, they are. They are very, very important to the continued success of this uh, endeavor. Well, between our Patreon and our PayPal con- contributors, uh, we've got Joe Porsche, Matt Schaefer, Mike Hegarty, and Joe Paisano. All four of these gentlemen have chosen to uh, contribute to Plastic Model Mojo either via Patreon or, or uh, PayPal. If you'd like to make a recurring contribution to Plastic Model Mojo, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash Plastic Model Mojo. And there you can uh, make a recurring contribution from any amount from a dollar on up. And they'll they'll handle the monthly billing for that. And we really appreciate that. If you'd like to manage your own recurring contribution or make a one-time donation or contribution to Plastic Model Mojo, you can go to uh, www.plasticmodelmojo.com. In the upper right corner of the web page, you'll find a uh, heart icon that will take you directly to our PayPal link. And there you can uh, donate however you feel. And folks, we really appreciate this. It's it's helped us uh, move to a new recording platform, buy equipment, whatever, over the last two and a half years. And uh, most appreciated. Uh, you guys make it happen for us. So thank you very much. And not to bring us down, but my shout out here, as Mike mentioned earlier, the commemorative Air Force experienced uh, a tragic loss this weekend. Six people apparently passed and two vintage aircraft, a B-17 and a B-63 or P-63 were lost. Shocking to all of us. I know that when I saw the videos, it was... It was like a gut punch. I would talk to Jim, who was there, and he was uh, very affected by it. I mean, seeing it in person was a shock. Jim is is fairly active in the uh, in the community of warbirds, and so he's familiar with a lot of those people. and And being there when it happened really shook him. I know from talking to him today, one thing he was very grateful for was the number of people who, in the modeling community, many of whom were only familiar with him because they'd either seen his YouTube videos or had heard him on our podcasts or or one of the other podcasts, uh, who reached out to him to, A, make sure that physically he was okay, but B, uh, to offer their support in what clearly was a situation that by seeing it, you're going to, you're going to, it's, it's a rough experience. And he expressed to me when I talked to him this morning, how grateful he was. He did not realize he had so many people 
for want of a better word, cared about him. And he was grateful to all of you. So thank all of you for reaching out and, and giving him that support. Again, it just goes to reinforce this is a really, really great community. And uh, I couldn't ask for a better group of guys. Well, Dave, we're getting close to the end of this thing. Yeah. And uh, we want to wish all our listeners here in the United States a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I think uh, we want to say uh, so many kits. So little time. See you soon, Mike. All right, man. Well, you have a good Thanksgiving too, Dave. You too. All right. All right.